0: You know, just reading what people were saying online about best movies, and you know, people were commenting about the novels. Yeah, one of the things people someone brought up was Bond is, you know, he's a more nuanced character in the novels. Uh, One of the reasons that he is associated with expensive things is not because he like he became this symbol of elegance and, yeah, and you know, expensive luxury items.
1: We'll get into that.
0: The reason he's like that in the novels is because he is aware that British secret agents have very short lifespans. Uh, he's oh, so he spends lavishly, knowing yes. that time is so precious. Yes, he spends he's <laughs> all on <laughs> MI 6s all on MI 6s dollar. Because when he's out in the field, all of expenses are comp. <laughs> so he. Yes, he spends lavishly while out in the field. I don't remember reading that's, that's, and that crazy. is why he's associated with expensive things. And then he became this thing as like, oh well, he craves expensive things or he loves them. It's like, yeah, well, and also, I, <laughs> uh, um, during when he's not out in the field, like he, when he's not out on a case, uh, he is a civil servant in in Britain. He's not out in the field all the time. Yes, that I. Yes, yeah. he does not. He's not constantly. It's like not like a two villain per year thing. It's like when they need they send him out, and it's like that's really interesting. There's a very boring side to Bond's life. <laughs> yeah,
1: we know we only see the. Uh, the action yeah, it's
0: like though. dude, he sits by the desk most of the year. It's only until they send him out. But anyway, that is my. <laughs> that is my. So
2: I looked it up. Vesper Martini was created by Ian Fleming. Yeah, it's gin instead of uh, vermouth. Much. It's gin, gin, vodka, and white wine. So
0: you're, yes, you okay. got one third Hey, all right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank and you, And his estate in Jamaica was named GoldenEye, which is- Yes, th- I yes, did know which that. Which is named after I... a type of bird because he was into ornithology and he was- right. he, I, think, I think he released some works on that. Yes, he did. Yep. Huh. And uh, the author of like his favorite ornithological work or whatever- We all have one of those. Of course, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can't even pick one right now. There's so many. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. The name, I don't remember the author's name, but- uh, that they used the author's name as a as a code name in a uh, uh, Dino, Dino Day, Day yeah. Ugh. So he goes to Cuba posing as an ornithologist there for wild birds, and he says his name is this famous guy's oh, name. Oh, Gosh, yeah. My, and I was like, that's a cool homage. Too bad that that movie is sucks. Yeah. yeah. Also, does, he does not fit that part. No. <laughs>
1: no. as my uh, favorite
2: ornithological work is that movie Rio, <laughs> the DreamWorks movie. Are they going to
1: say Rio too?
2: No, nah, that sucked. <laughs>
1: So what is up, everybody? I am in a good mood today. Why is that, you ask? Well, that's because we're going to talk about one of my absolute favorite pieces of media ever, something very near and dear to my heart. A little game that by all accounts on paper should have never succeeded the way it did. Uh, It was made by a small and experienced team. It was on a console not known whatsoever for the genre and distributed by a company not known whatsoever for a project of this style. Uh, it also went through loads of changes in development. There were technical limitations, financial constraints. Oh, and uh, most of all, it was fucking based on a movie. A movie that by this time this work of art was released was already long outdated in the mind of theater goers.
0: But I think we know what I'm getting at here. Peter Jackson's King Kong, the <laughs> official game of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Finally, finally, we're doing God, it. Holy God. This has been the like just long really- Long time yeah, coming, yeah. Like, yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, if you haven't already guessed, yeah, no, no. It involves spies and guns and Russia- the Mission Impossible game? <laughs> <laughs> the Born, the born and <laughs> yeah. Identity. Yeah. Yeah. No, goddamn Goldeneye number 007. A first person shooter exclusively for the family friendly Nintendo 64. A product that when it was announced barely batted a... Yeah. Goldeneye? So. <laughs> Instead, it sold millions, received near-perfect review scores, won endless industry awards, celebrating the best of 1997. Even in 2023, it continues to appear on numerous all-time rankings from a considerable amount of respected outlets. Its influences on mechanics and multiplayer are still found in titles being produced as we speak. The cultural importance of it alone practically make it a touchstone of the 90s generation, including beyond just the uh, aroma of video games. Um, Many argue it revitalized the significance of James Bond as a character, especially in the U.S. and Japan. Uh, That might seem quaint now, though it certainly wasn't 24 years ago. Standard features of just about every FPS that came after started here. Location uh, damage with um, motion captured animation, precision aiming, open objectives, responsive AI, silenced weapons and stealth, gadgets, customizable dual wielding, rifles that could Fucking zoom, destructible environments, epic four-person simultaneous split screen, even the option of using more than only one joystick to play it. The, the list goes on and on. Tons of kick-ass things we take for granted.
0: I was going to crack a joke. Oh, well, it didn't invent dual analog, but depending upon how you eh, look okay, at it, it's yeah. like, eh,
1: ish, yeah. Can you believe that tiny gray cartridge had 16 by 9 widescreen support on it?
0: Like, what yeah, the fuck? Yeah, that, that was <laughs> I forgot about rediscovering that option. <laughs>
1: The frame rate might have been inconsistent. The controller may have been lousy, but you know what? People didn't care. From basements to dorm rooms to offices, everyone was bitten by the bug. You didn't even have to like shooters, really. Goldeneye transcended that and was its its own unique beast. One whose story we are going to tell you, fine folks, about. And uh, don't worry if you found any of my gushing there annoying. I did choose to relegate it mostly to the intro. I uh, get the bulk of it before you know before we begin. I mean, hey, I, I love this game. I ain't afraid to shout it. But uh, anyway, this is Hot Button. I'm your club spraying, remote tossing, laser watch using host, Randall Beatrice, here with fellow 64-bit aficionados, O agent Austin Blakeslee.
2: <laughs> I'm a halo guy. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: Call and me Master Chief. Matthew, I'm invincible new to <laughs> Of course, yes. <laughs> All right, I'm done with the jokes. It's, it's true, I unlocked Invincible Bonds. It's so. jam- <laughs> yeah. And Invisible Bond. And Invisible Bond. Um,
1: let's get into the real shit, and uh, just how and the hell this got made, uh, and, and published by the biggest gaming giant of the era. Uh, even looking back on it, the entire recipe for GoldenEye is sort of nuts when you break it down. Uh, before we do start, however, I, uh, I have to draw attention and give major thanks to our main source of research for this episode, as well as a figure we owe... Uh, We owe so much to uh, see back in July of 2022, an entry in the Boss Fight uh, series of novels, uh, aptly titled GoldenEye 007, was published, uh, documenting the entire history of the game's production, launch, and troubled path to becoming available for later generations to relive again. Um, It was written by Elise Knorr, an associate professor of English at the Regis University in Denver, Colorado. She is also a co-editor of Switchback Books, penned several collections of poetry, such as Mega City Redux, Copper Mother, and Annotated Glass. She even wrote the aforementioned boss fights uh, issue on Super Mario Brothers three. Yep. Another
0: fucking staple of my childhood. Also marking her as the uh, the only author on that to list to do it twice. To do it twice, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and she's got a couple other works uh, upcoming. She's still yeah. she's still putting out more work. She's so. hard at it, and yeah. uh, but most importantly for us, she agreed to do an interview.
1: Yep. With us for our show. I mean, what do you mean by for us? us? We're like the we're like the world renowned hot you guys. Like <laughs> this we... is a monumental up uh, button first. Uh, Yes, so Matt here reached out. She was then uh, gracious enough to sit down for an hour with us, discuss her book, uh, of which Matt and I read cover to cover and super enjoyed. It was certainly vital in the investigation of this topic. Um, It's great. We get to hear stories recounted directly from the devs themselves. Um, And the the interview was tremendously awesome. Uh, She was so goddamn cool, and we will be posting it sometime after this goes out for all of you to listen to. Although for now... What do you guys say we get into the tale of how Goldeneye came to light? I,
0: <laughs> my body is ready.
1: <laughs> Obviously, we can't go anywhere without uh, beginning with the developer responsible. I know him, you know him. I'm talking Rare. Or as they were initially called, Ultimate Play the Game. Yeah, <laughs> um, They were founded by brothers Tim and Chris Stamper in their 30s. Uh, this back in 1982 out of, bear with me for a sec, Ashby De La Zouch in Northwest, like, Ly- Leicestershire, England. I think it's uh, Leicestershire. Leicestershire. Yes,
0: that's spelled like a yes. I, yeah, it's like Worcestershire I, sauce.
1: I apologize.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh. Yep. It's uh, out in the country too. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and uh, sorry. This was along with their friend, uh, John Lathbury and Tim's partner Carol Ward. Other members of the Stamper family would provide their assistance as well. Yes. Um. But uh, Tim and Chris were at the center of it. They both came from arcade backgrounds, uh, although each already had a strong passion for tech. Chris often tinkered with electronics as a youngin and built his own computer in college, getting him a nice uh, programming gig even before graduating. Meanwhile, Tim's focus was more on the artistic side, with his primary interest being graphic design. The duo quickly went from the uh, trade of coin-op conversion at their old job at Ashby to creating their own original software. Uh, landing almost immediate success with their 2D run and shoot platformer Jetpack
0: Jetpack I, yeah. it was available jet- on Rare Replay Yes I was going to say it's like uh, if you if you wanted to take a good look at Rare's heritage it is Oh it's perfect for all this I yeah. think you probably have brought up the the this game more than once but Rare Replay uh, minus Golden which is not on there for <laughs> it uh, is it, it is kind of now yeah uh, you know what? <laughs> yeah, That's a good point. Originally, up, yeah. uh, for, uh, for you know, rights reasons that Randy, um, I'm sure has plenty of <laughs> yeah, but, uh, uh, yeah, time. But yeah, that is, it's like, if you're interested, it's like, you can just go through them. It's like, they have a bunch of info uh, on, e- like... like little, a, little docs, like little documentary. Yeah, it's like features, they, yeah, it's, it's like, it's not just in, like, an emulation of the game. It's like, they provide all this background info, inf- interviews, so it's just like... Uh, it's real cool, and probably,
1: yeah. like, comparable to... Um, well, on game of the year when we discussed uh, Atari 50 Atari 15, maybe not yeah. that
0: in depth but the presentation it's, still It's one of those compilations that's it's like it's done with love. It's not yes. it's not just a bunch Absolutely. of roms loaded up onto a game it's like they put a lot of Which effort Which is what those compilations used to be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, essentially Namco Museum uh-huh. it was it was like just a a a boring ass museum and you like they don't even let you get to the the, the the ROMs quickly. You have to go up to these separate rooms with the They didn't men. even fix the controls.
1: They just mapped it they to whatever.
0: They just it to, yeah. Um, which I think Chris made the joke. It's like, what else can Atari really do besides just release compilations at this point? And it's like, yeah. They can make uh, speaker hats
1: and open up uh, hotels.
2: And sell uh, remasters on original 2,600 oh, cards for $300, $300 for 10 of them or whatever.
0: Oh no, it was, it was $1,000 for 10 of them, $100 a pop. And it's like, it's not even like... The most hard to find Atari games. I own like at least half of those, and it's like you can just go down to the store and buy. And they are and NFTs as well, and NFTs, yeah. So Jetpack was uh, (laughs) this is for the
1: the sixteen k Spectrum, May nineteen eighty three. It sold around three hundred thousand copies, a wild feat. Chris stated that the platform was targeted due to their smaller size and uh, sheer volume of units publicly out there. Not that uh, this was without tons of hard work. The pair invested uh, insane hours every day over the course of three years, skipping only Christmas in order to bring Jetpack to completion. Thankfully, their efforts didn't go unnoticed, with profits raking in an excess of one million pounds. Um, this then led to further titles: uh, Psst, Transam with the Z and Cookie. After they would upgrade uh, to the ZX, granting them a whopping forty-eight k at their disposal. Yeah! Wow. <laughs> The games uh, just uh, then kept coming. Uh, a-, a Tick Attack, Saber Wolf, uh, a sequel to their debut with Lunar
0: Jetman, yeah. and Night Lore. Um, yeah, the Saber Wolf was like a, a big thing for them because it's like saberwolf became the main character and like it was a tri- it was either a trilogy or like a tetralogy of games that were all like linked yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. They didn't get to release them all though, right? I uh, think what happened was it was like they came out... With three of them, and there was a planned fourth game that was going to finish up all of it, but I don't think they finished it, and so I think it's something, something's it's weird bummer. with it, it's unreleased, but it's like, yeah. they're all linked together, there's like codes you can get in the previous game that link to, to the next games or whatever. It's an ambitious idea. And no, it. I thought it was good, and then, I mean saber is like who the fuck knows who <laughs> saber well, is anymore
1: Nightlore, uh, uh was cited by edge magazine a decade later for its significant and revolutionizing isometric visuals to appear 3d i think that's the second game in the series yeah and yeah. again check out rare replay if you're curious of these i i think i'm not sure which ones of those are in there a tick attack is and lunar Jetman definitely yeah. is.
0: saber he makes a brief cameo in banjo dewey <laughs> what yes as a side character that like you know gives you a mission to go wow oh, yeah. that's funny yeah wait
2: <laughs> what's game Saberwolf from uh oh the sa- game is called saber wolf saber in the night lore yeah, yeah. It's, it's
0: a guy he's in like he's in a like he, he's in a little explorer hat with like uh he looks oh because like, yeah. there's
2: a character in killer instinct called saber wolf and that's that also is, made by rare Shit.
0: yes that
1: yeah. is actually named after that I, character okay. i don't think i ever yes. connected those dots yeah. So, Ultimate uh, continued to bask in their glory right out the gate. Uh, They won the prestigious Golden uh, or Gold Joystick Award for Best Software House in 1983 and 1984. Uh, Their knowledge in hardware, gameplay design, and code writing stood above their competitors still using BASIC. The Z80 enabled their stuff to run way faster, Uh, this and save on extra memory.
0: A whole whopping 64K Hmm. back then.
1: Also, they soon made the decision to increase the MSRP of their products from 550 to 995 pounds uh, to try and combat the loss of from uh, consumer sharing or... Or sorry, customers like, you know, trading around. What's that on um, Freedom Dollars? <laughs> I'm actually not sure. We're <laughs> uh, without um, inflation. But shockingly, this didn't dissuade their supporters. Uh, in fact, um, Ultimate's fan base was so dedicated that they would receive an average of 60 letters a day through the mail, causing them to have to hire someone strictly to manage it. We'll get there eventually, right? Right, boys?
2: Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, we get a lot of fan mail. I just burn it all. <laughs> <laughs> Keeps the house warm.
1: What if there's money in there? Um, So, uh, going into 85, rumors were circulating of a buyout by Ocean. Uh, However, these were thwarted once it was revealed that the Stampers had sold the company and their catalog to U.S. Gold, a nearby distributor in uh, Witten, Birmingham, uh, who stuck with the ultimate uh, brand, like, and, and then continued to release titles that didn't quite strike the same level as the claim as to when it was under the previous regime. Their community was stunned by this. Like, how could they suddenly vanish with so much to offer? Well, the the truth is that this was all part of their plan. Um, The brothers didn't want their creativity to be stifled, especially with the ambitiousness growing and growing. So as the purchase was getting finalized, Tim and Chris were secretly relocating to the middle of nowhere English countryside. Oh, yeah. uh, How did you pronounce this? I I know it's in the books.
0: Twicross? Oh, Have I think I uh, uh, spell it. Is it T W Y? Yes. Yeah, it's Twycross. Twycross. I okay. believe so. I mean that. I mean that's what we're it's going said with phonetically. All right. It's yeah. the same
2: language. <laughs> <laughs> the British are just a silly people.
0: Listen, listen. If it's like if it's like Twycross in English, we just invented the American uh, pronunciation. Okay. Yeah. 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 And uh, this was to set up a subsidiary
1: named Rare Designs of the Future, or Rare for short,
0: a word they discreetly snuck into a few of their in-game credits. You know, guys, it was still the 80s. Not every game company name was copyrighted. You didn't need to, like, <laughs> you could have just stuck with, like, Ultimate and Rare, and no one, no one had those names <laughs> yet. You know? uh, yeah. Uh,
1: so uh, when does the big N enter the fray? Well, back in 1983, a business associate of of theirs had sent them an imported Famicom, the Japanese NES for all you kids listening. Uh, and this thing was hella advanced in that at that time, so, like, they were encouraged to pry into it a bit. Um, hesitation sat with them though, as Nintendo hadn't shown much enthusiasm in attracting the Western market yet. Uh, the majority of British devs were way more drawn to the upcoming wave of 16-bit PCs like the Atari ST and Commodore Amiga. Abandoning the locally popular spectrum for this would be a huge risk. Regardless, they were just too enamored with the machine. Um, problem was, the Mario guys would deny any request from them to study their code. This meant Chris had to spend eight months reverse engineering it himself.
0: That is so, I mean, just to, just to cut in here. Yeah. Uh, something that's so, that's charming about reading about uh, old game development, and especially with, uh, with uh, the book, is just like how experimental... Mm-hmm. old game development was it's like they got their hands on a new piece of hardware and then suddenly their entire business model just changed they're like oh, <laughs> right about? yeah yeah and it's just like it's like it's, it's all like uh, it's all planned st- out yeah, and it's same. just like they got this new piece of hardware they're like this is better fuck this old one and it's like <laughs> yeah. and it, they're just like they're just enamored by it and that could make you break if you if you gamble wrong you know like well like, yeah so yeah. that was that's kind of a also something they bring up in the book you need to have room to fail if you're so uh risk averse that like one single thing will end you it's like well Nothing's going to change. You're just going to keep doing what works.
2: Right. But then there's the, the other side of the coin, which is, like, game development was harder, more specialized back then, but it, was, it also moved a lot faster. I mean... That's true. Budgets were low. You could make a game with one or two people, and you could experiment in a way that you can't now, because you... Yeah. You got to build a physics engine and then a lighting engine, and then you got to implement gameplay mechanics, and then you have to put in models and textures, and then you get to that point, and you're like, actually, this combat's not that great. And they're like, we already spent $100 million,
1: ship it.
0: <laughs> All right, figure out how to monetize yeah. it. <laughs> I mean, put I, a battle pass in. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like two years can go by, and it's like the hardware doesn't change much from year to year now. I've been playing a lot of retro games, and I'm just like, this game was made in, like, 91, and this game was made in, like, 99, and it's just, like, they're just completely... Yeah. all the different world. worlds. Even, like, a separation of, like, two years is just, like, And this is back when software was hyper-specialized
1: for the hardware. It's oh, like, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Um, so that this is when the two of them were finally uh, able to secure a meeting with Nintendo of America president, or, sorry, then Nintendo of America president, uh, Minoru Arakawa. Uh, Rare became the very first company outside Japan to pitch them on projects and succeed. Eric Collar was so impressed at what they had done on their demos, particularly the presentation for Slalom, a downhill skiing game, that they formally gave them the license and capital to collaborate with them as freelancers, the start of the beautiful relationship that would lead to Goldeneye 10 years later. They now had the cash, a headquarters inside a Manor Village farmhouse, and a second office based in Miami, Florida. Uh, also, the revamped Nintendo Entertainment System was finding itself to shelves across the globe, taking the gaming scene into unprecedented heights. And they drove straight in with it, staffing up. Between '86 and 1991, Rare had produced 60 games for the NES and Game Boy. They'd signed deals with Trade West, EA, Sega, previous Hot Button subject to claim, uh, Mindscape, Game Tech. The possibilities were endless. They also obtained rights to various IP for adaptations, including Spider-Man, Jeopardy, Sesame Street, the WWF, Double Dare, Beetlejuice, Wheel of Fortune, Nightmare on Elm Street, Hollywood Squares, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, the greatest noir film ever. Um, And the variety was evident here, too. There were platformers, racing games, sports games, fucking a tarot card rating simulator. Um, Not only that, but their contributions to ports was a key priority as well. Titles once hosted exclusively on the PC or in arcades were now arriving to the NES's expanding library. Uh, NARC, Double Dragon, Sid Meier's Pirates, goddamn Marvel Madness. And none of this slowed their output on fresh ideas either. You had RC Pro-Am, Snake Rattle and Roll, uh, Cobra, Trianger, Cobra Triangle. Cobra t- Triangle. Sorry,
0: Cobra Triangle, which yeah, rules. Yeah, which is a great game. Yeah. Uh, uh, did you mention Battletoads? Battletoads was enormous for them. Battletoads was great. And
1: uh, and Cobra Triangle kind of started this too, but the, the, the Battletoads really took it to that, where it uh, they would mix different genres and yep. uh, lots of uh, technological achievements, such as like expanding of music tracks and parallax scrolling. Yep. Uh, a method taken from the bros examination of a uh, Japanese uh, like uh, d- design also, discovery.
0: Yeah, that's also another thing is how much they were able to look at what others were doing and like be like, let and me take that and, on and yeah. expand upon it. It was the same thing with uh, Mario 64. It's like Banjo-Kazooie. Oh, yeah. They took a lot and they took a lot of inspiration from Mario for GoldenEye 2. And it's like, hey. oh, we'll get
1: there. Don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> which, is,
0: which is, I think, really creative. It's just like, hey, these guys did this. What can we do with it? It's something if it's something you're going to pull from. <laughs> yeah, that should be it.
1: Um, By the early 90s, Nintendo was just fucking dominating every region in terms of video games, and having Rare by their side was fundamental to this. The thirst for innovation kept driving them, although the NES's potential was hitting its limit. So with the generation coming to its inevitable sunset, the studio had more than established themselves as Nintendo's pride and joy, but they were ready for a bolder move, talking another dimension, 3D, kind of. Yeah, no, (laughs) I mean, oh, kind of, what is the, what what was their debut 3D? So, uh, they pulled together the money made throughout those years and purchased a handful of workstations from the largest bank of expensive silicon graphics in Britain. Uh, The same computers used to build the cutting edge CGI in Jurassic Park and Terminator 2. I worked. Double whammy right there. I
2: worked on SGI machines.
1: Oh, yeah? Nice. And, um, And Rare's version of these concepts was labeled Advanced Computer Modeling, TMTM. DMT. <laughs> it incorporated performance suit capture, light sourcing, and the inclusion of photorealistic assets above anything the industry had witnessed before. Um, plus, you know what else was on the horizon that could take advantage of these breakthroughs? The Super Nintendo Entertainment System. One of uh, the top, top tier home gaming consoles to ever grace our living rooms. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, or in my case, basement. Well, probably bedrooms for. That's it. yeah, no, yeah, you, you, know, you were a basement kid too, like me. Right? Yeah, yeah. I right now, I mean, we, we spent a lot of time in both of our basements. I know.
0: <laughs> we we have uh, we we still use that so much that it's like when our first one when the power supply broke, we went out and bought another one. And I have this. I just, I have. The, do you do have the 101? like I do. And on top of that, I uh, I just spent a lot of time with the uh, SNES Mini, SNES Classic. Yeah, eating Final Fantasy six slash three in North America. When I
1: finally, uh, when my original uh, SNES finally called it quits, I yeah. I got the 101, which is a neat little device. But it, I hate the fact that the power the, there's no power light.
0: You Can't tell when oh, it's on. Oh yeah, no. I mean, it drives I, me bonkers. I'm just happy about the fact that it's just like that was a top loading system. That uh yeah cause, yeah because that the NES the front loading was just like not doing anybody a favor. So look cool though. Yeah, it looked and it was easier
1: to put horizontally on a shelf.
2: Yeah, but it caused a lot of problems because the yeah without gravity, the cartridges would slide out, which is why the system didn't always start up properly. Yeah, you're not wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: they even tried doing it with like the like the push down thing to make sure that the the wedge the pins against each other, and it's like that still so right because
2: the Famicom was top loading. It
0: was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, actually, you know what? I never thought about that, but you're right. One of the things one of the things annoying about the uh, the SNES and the Nintendo sixty four was that. Couldn't put anything on top of it, but the NES, you're right, it's like you can stack. Nowadays you can just, nowadays you can just. And the GameCube, the Gamecube stopped loading too. So all of my Nintendo consoles yes. were sitting on top of the other ones, like the Play, like the GameCube sat on top of the PlayStation 2. Well, don't worry, now the Switch needs like fucking
1: three feet of clearance to put anywhere. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you can
2: technically balance a Xbox Series X on top of PlayStation 5 and then put a Switch on top of that. <laughs> If you want to block all of the airflow from the two ones that need it.
1: (laughs) So upon showing a second demonstration to Nintendo execs, uh, this for a boxing minigame, one that would utilize their updated CGI, SGI tech, uh, sorry, um, they were indeed impressed uh, considering developer kits couldn't render powerful effects like those until this process was programmed. In tune, the gaming megacorp hastily acquired a 25% stake in the company for
0: uh, 39.5 mil. Uh, Okay, that's it. That's, yeah, that's... Yeah, well... 39.5
2: million what? Pounds? Dollars? Yen? uh, This is is dollars. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, So uh, a Japanese company purchased a 25% stake in a British company for American American dollars. (laughs) I love the economy. (laughs)
1: Uh, while gradually yeah. increasing the number to 49%, <laughs> thus making them a full-blown second party for them. Rare could maintain autonomous operation, green lighting and designing software, while Nintendo would stay hands-off of the creative aspects. The stampers' 51% allowed them to ground themselves
0: as independent. Wow. One of the things, one of the themes that, that we, you know, constantly return to on this show is just, like, in any case where it's, like, a team has more autonomy and creative freedom. Miracles happen. It's like in almost every case of like a, like a brand like losing popularity or diminishing, like you can lead, just dig through it and just spot the case of greed. Just like it's Mm. where it's like, I was just thinking about, it's like how many companies like they have this really well-established brand and everybody loves it. And it's like, people are like, there's a big fan community. And then it's like, they get so big that they get a board of directors, and the board of directors is like, "How can we squeeze every ounce of money out of this brand?" Uh, yeah. and it's just it, it's literally it's killing the goose that laid the golden eggs. It's like you are being so greedy, like you are like sitting on this very popular brand or IP or series, yeah. and you kill it by trying to cut open the goose and being like, "Let's get yeah. more of the gold from inside." It's it's, it's like a good
2: thing get- that that never happened to Rare. <laughs>
0: Right, <laughs> right, guys. Well, wow. we got a we got a treat in store for you with this series. Yeah, Dick's still killing it, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, of course. I just, yeah, I play their games all the time. Yeah, you bust out that Connect, and you're like, "Ooh, I need to see me some." Yeah, yeah. Some of this,
2: <laughs> a sp- there's a lot of there's a lot of companies that Nintendo tried that tactic with, and then other people came along and fucked them up.
0: I was just thinking about uh, what do you call it with Bethesda when they tried to monetize the mm-hmm. modding community. It's like. Did no, hey, way, we, did when we covered that. that. It's yeah. like, did no executive on the board step back and think you are going to? You are killing the goose that laid the golden eggs. People love our games because of the free modding scene, and they make them better, and you're going to sit there and think, how can we squeeze money out of this? Whenever
1: any instances like that happen, you know there's at least, like, maybe one or a couple people that are
0: like, but, and then, you know, like... Yeah, it's like those voices just get stifled, because at the end of the day, it's like, when a bunch of people make a decision, the bottom line is what counts, and so, of course, the bad decisions are the ones that pass, you know? No No one thinks it through. Chronic... (laughs) Um, So during this
1: period, the team's trademark would evolve into Rareware, and uh, this was also around the moment their general philosophy changed. Rather than leaping to get as many titles out the door as possible, now things would aim for uh, quality over quantity and give undivided attention to specific requests.
2: Still still more quantity than most, too. That's the craziest part Uh, about (laughs) this. They went from making, like, 60 games in, like, five (laughs) years to, like... A, a third 16? of the N sixty fours, library. but yeah. it's still like you know. I didn't want to spoil it, but like GoldenEye, Eye, Blast Core, Banjo Kazooie, Killer Instinct.
0: Oh yeah, they were dude. They yeah. were, and it's Death a, Force Gemini, and yep. I'm sure Perfect you'll cover Dark you Conquer. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I'm sure you'll cover this later, but it's like I discovered, I would say, fairly recently. That was because of the siloed approach that you're probably mm-hmm. gonna talk to, where it's yeah, like yeah. It, it wasn't just one development team doing that. It was it was siloed development teams. It's all
1: under the rare umbrella, but it was much more yeah, sanctioned yes. than It's
0: that. very
2: yeah, it's a very independent mindset because there's a couple companies now that work like that. Double Fine comes to mind. Yeah, there you where go. Where it's like they do their own internal game jams and then they just like yeah. splinter off into separate teams and work on games.
0: Yeah, and I think that's like. Rightly so. Double Fine is considered a very fine publisher mm-hmm. still. For
1: now, though, enter Donkey Kong Country. Wishing to advertise the capabilities of what their hotly anticipated and well-performing super SNES was packing, combined with the encroaching fears of the Sega Saturn and PlayStation, the Big end came to the conclusion of giving Rareware permissions to access their entire back collection of characters for them to select from for their largest venture yet. The crew picked our favorite gorilla villain, turned him into a hero,
0: gave him a sidekick, yep. and boom. The DK Country franchise was born. Yep. Not only that, but I uh, recently found out that uh, the uh, in the, the intro where Donkey Kong blows up Cranky Kong. Yeah, they canonically made... Uh, the, yeah. Because cano- right. uh, he's the original. He's the original. Yeah. And he's playing on a gramophone, the song that plays in Donkey Kong Classics. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. In, yes, which the, I just found out a couple weeks ago in my mind was I was like, that's where that song comes from. I couldn't from. remember if
1: it was that or ninety four,
0: which but I guess no, it started in I am positive it's because I, I, I believe it. Yeah. I just played it on your on on your console. Right. And I, I heard it. I was all like, right. yep. So that was Jim. really cool. And, also, and you got me that game. I'm really, really proud of it. And Donkey Kong ninety four. Fuck yeah. shreds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, <it's laughs>
2: But it was a really good idea to give Donkey Kong to rare because they ended up making the best Donkey Kong game out of all. <laughs> I yeah. was gonna say <laughs>
0: No, I know what he's hitting yeah. at. <laughs> um, I thought you were talking about like compared to the arcade game. Never mind. Yeah, <laughs> different, different.
2: I am talking about compared to the arcade game. <laughs> you just don't know what's rare Donkey Kong game. so
1: of course there's much, much more to it than that. Um uh, but hey, this is supposed to be a golden eye episode. Uh to be brief, they brought on twenty people to make it. Um Kong Country, I mean it took uh eighteen months total. Uh, their longest cycle yet. It earned exemplary reviews, uh, became the third best-selling SNES release at over 9 million cartridges sold. Whoa. Um, that, oh, that's that's actually super yeah. impressive. For uh, that, that's ranked first if you discount uh, bundles because, you know, Mario World was like... like yeah. I was going to say, what's for...
2: second? I know Mario uh, World's one. Mario Kart, I believe. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah.
1: Um, down the road, it spawned two rad follow-ups, multiple spin-offs. Um, nobody had seen a platformer with that look in 1994. Yeah. It was crazy. That's that's what I meant when I I said 3D. Yeah. Like it's 3D, but not I, I think, 3D. I know?
0: think also they were able to make those 3D sprites from that. Either the SGI, uh, yeah, so yes, yeah, it's yeah. like they they wanted to take advantage of that. That's like the, the ability to to, to uh, animate in 3D, and I think it, that helped yeah, they
2: them. also. Use that for Killer Instinct. That they well. do
0: very yeah. much. Yeah. It was either that or the uh, TMTM computer, whatever you had mentioned. Before. The one that
1: has a very generic sounding yeah. name. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, by '95, the Rare Squad had grown from 84 employees to 100, and I believe uh, this was when that 25% stake I brought up was boosted to 49. Uh, I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> there, uh, there was a lot of confidence in Donkey Kong. Um, like they were, they promoted the hell out of it, so it, you know it made sense. Alongside that, as Austin uh, brought up the the CG fighter Killer Instinct was birthed into arcades through custom cabinets that same year, um, with the uh, code distribution handled by Midway. Uh, this being another win for them and the ongoing friendship with Nintendo, they were like two peas
0: in a pod. Honestly, a real quick question: the yeah. Killer Instinct arcade cabinet. That was the one where it screamed Ultra Combo in, uh, in your yep. face. Yeah. yeah, that yeah, yeah. is. I can does still. Does it not do that in gold on the N64? No, it, it does. It, 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 it does. Like does but it's like, I just, like, when someone brings it up, I can still oh, hear the voice yes, in my for, head. Well,
1: former guest of the show, I think uh, Andrew has, has mentioned that that was like a deliberate choice yes. to attract people to the. Yeah, the, yeah. the, the announcer is <laughs>
2: also one of the guys at Rare who created or helped create Killer Instinct. And they specifically, there's a documentary. Uh, to Is reference, you should watch it. No, it's Hold Back to Block. Okay. They do like fighting game documentaries. Phenomenal documentary about the remake of Killer Instinct because mm. that guy uh, worked with them again to do the voice again. Awesome. And uh, yeah, they specifically made it scream that to be louder than Mortal Kombat to get people to come <laughs> over to the Killer Instinct machine.
0: <laughs> That's
1: funny. mm mm-hmm.
0: Oh, it's these, these old tactics, you know. I'm telling you, man, it's just, like, it's just wild. It's just <laughs> the Wild West of just, like, whatever works. Yeah. What if we were louder? Uh. Um, so now that the stage is constructed, let's jump
1: into our main meet. Uh, a continent away from our wonderful Brits, an unlikely agreement was being made. Nintendo CEO Hiroshi Yamauchi had negotiated the licensing rights to adapt the then-still-in-pre-production 007 film known as, quote, Bond 17, into a playable video game. Instantly, the publisher's bigwigs knew who to trust with the Endeavor. I mean, who better else for the task than an outfit starring the UK's most celebrated cultural icon? Funnily enough, however... Queen Elizabeth? <laughs> <laughs> when, the Rares, when Rare's upper management was approached, their response essentially was, Nah. The Brothers Stamp were wary of how a movie-to-game adaptation could restrict their freedom. This and they just got distance from that shit. Um, it was time for more original properties to get their chance.
2: Didn't they also do the Who Framed Roger Rabbit game?
1: This was yeah. That this was you know yeah.
2: That's what I was gonna say. They were like they did it in the past, right. and now they're like exactly. Nah. They're like you yeah. want to go back? Yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> Bear in mind, I'm fairly sure it's like there were James Bond games. Before this, yeah, but I'm I got like, you one. <laughs> yeah, you did. It's like I'm fairly sure the uh the most popular one that came out before Goldeneye uh, remained James Pond Junior. <laughs> <All right. laughs> yeah, fish oh, out of boy. water, or whatever. No, it's like they no. Were... It's, I think it's got a punnier name than that. Oh yeah, it does have a yes. <laughs> it was yeah. So it was like it was like yeah. there's uh the 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 Bond titles like. There was a lot of there was plenty of potential there, and they just like yeah, yeah they were not good, <laughs> and uh, they they were happy with their trajectory for
1: Ki and Blastcore. Um, you know they were pleased with their their quaint remote office. Uh, a James Bond project could shake that vibe. Goldeneye's composer Grant Kirkhope later remarked that despite the studio reaching the status of an internal powerhouse, it also was at its heart a family a family living in an isolated town removed from the hustle and bustle of major cities or tech hubs. The Stamper's mom cooked in the company kitchen. Uh Their dad drove employees to and from the airport. Their sister balanced the wages. Even their older brother
0: (laughs) served as a groundskeeper. That's actually, what adorable. Yeah, that last job is a lot more involved than just baking and driving. It's (laughs) like, she
1: just, it's like, hey, which which straw
0: did she draw? Yeah, really. (laughs) Mom, you cook. Dad, you drive. Wow. Sis, our finances (laughs) are a wreck. Just slaps down a bunch of folders. Get (laughs) cracking.
2: Depends how many people you're cooking for and how big the grounds are. Yeah,
0: I suppose that's (laughs) true
1: enough. Yeah. Uh, Tim and Chris wanted to remain actual developers on the games, too, in addition to keeping the lights on. Um, Post a bit of persuasion put a pin in that, the pair would change their minds. After all, they had the creative control, they had the finances, they had the staff. They're going to give it what they got. But um, before we get into the individuals who came aboard the ship, let's first dissect the IP as a whole. It's important to gauge just where society was, was at with our suave martini-drinking secret agent in the mid-'90s. James Bond, the fictional character, um, was brought to existence by British journalist, novelist, World War II veteran, Ian Fleming, in 1953, um, who we, you know, we mentioned in the intro. Um, He was uh, always the protagonist and working with an MI5 stand-in called MI6. MI6, yeah. (laughs) Uh, His exploits were featured in a a dozen loosely connected books and two short story compilations published into the 60s. This starting with Casino Royale. Casino Royale. (laughs)
2: File that, by the way, under things that I learned way too late in life, that MI6 wasn't real.
1: <laughs> it is like it's cl- it's like way too close. Because you, because like the FBI and the KGB exist in yeah. yeah in that's the, what I was gonna in, say like in the Bond lore, the FBI, so. like yeah, that like
2: when like the born stuff or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess Mission Impossible is kind of like a Bond thing, and that's fake, mm-hmm. right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I forget what their uh, yeah IMF IMF. Okay, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, I mean. Yeah, I also thought, uh, like, I'm like, oh, it's numbered. Because, of course, the British would number their uh, their intelligences. And, like, MI5 is, like, the kind of secret. And then MI6 is, yeah, like... The is yeah, the implication is that that's the super that's, yeah. secret. Yeah, and then, like, MI1 is, like, they do the taxes, Even though know? in, the, in the film their building is huge in the middle of London. In the <laughs> middle of London. It's just, like, real... real. Yeah. And on the river, too, it's, like, riverfront but, property. Yeah, <laughs> they're just, like...
2: They're, like, yeah, the CIA, the KGB, the FBI. Yeah. And then the fake one.
0: And then they own, yeah. they own a backup headquarters that's a castle in Scotland. That's right. That's uh, Yeah. Yeah. No, but you're right. It's like they didn't name it like the CIB instead of so the CIA. It's like it was, it was fine with, yeah. Maybe he figured since he wasn't a U.S. citizen there, like like he was like safe from like right. sort well, of like a. Uh, man,
2: <laughs> we love acronyms over here. I'll tell you what. FDA. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, uh, ATF. <laughs> the
0: <ugh>. the ATF. AD- <laughs> The ATF's come up that many times in this podcast?
2: They've come Every, up before. Yeah, I think so. No, they definitely came up. Did
1: Waco was like that get discussed? I, <laughs> I know
2: I, I, the ATF specifically, I believe, came up in the CSGO episode, maybe. Ah, and also, okay. uh, for sure, the Columbine episode.
0: Yes, okay. Yeah, no, you're right. All right, <laughs> that, check well, that, up. that checks. Yeah, yo, you should just start a checklist of all the agencies you need to hit.
1: Yeah, uh, there's few. The, the list will be smaller than the ones we haven't. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> the the unexpected popularity led to dozens of motion pictures with uh, Doctor No premiering in 1962. Yes. As of today, 25 official, two non official, non canonical. I don't know. Um, they were primarily distributed by Eon and MGM later Sony. Uh, the face of Bond being recast as the march of aging treks on it of course began with the legendarily smooth Sean Connery rip <laughs> yeah then a single stint from George Lazenby transitioning into the camp area with Roger Moore rip again uh and then yeah. saw an efficient and raw Timothy Dalton, who was underrated.
0: I in agree. my opinion, and, I love Timothy Dalton as bond yeah. I think he I think he of of all of those characters, I feel like he encapsulated. That it's like he still has like a he still has a bit of a like a charm to him, yeah. But is mostly very like dark. He's and jaded. all like he's all very much mission yeah. focused, and it's like that seems like how a secret agent would act. And the and he only took the shoes twice. It's a tragedy. Well, that was uh, just a spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh, Goldeneye is not the first uh, James Bond uh james Bond asset that has uh encountered uh rights issues yes uh the Timothy Dalton contract was one of them and uh the reason those spinoffs exist were also fights over rights to the movie rights to yeah. produce a movie it's 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 a very it's one of those series that everybody like just wants to like get fucking, a piece of
2: fucking <laughs> Broccolis
0: man yeah, <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? mean? <laughs> that's true yeah and it's it's barber broccoli now right yeah
1: so uh then stepped in uh the a sleek pierce brosden for the turn of the millennia yep. um then uh you know we'll return him don't worry uh well finally then going complete reinvention with the gritty modern reboot championed by one only daniel craig um no news yet on who's next, um, but it's incredibly fascinating as as somebody, uh, me and you, Matt, who have been revisiting uh, yep. them. That it's like to really see the numerous ways these um, productions and and like and stories have, have truly reflected their times, like yeah. both geopolitically and socially, and like, socially. It, yes. And it we could we could speak on, on yeah. just that alone. And, for I mean, hours. I
0: I just started. I uh, I was actually reading Casino Royale, but then you gave me. Uh, Lisa's book, but I I took a crack at it. Uh, actually, a very very quick read in my opinion. I'm Like you yeah. get through it, and it's free online. Uh, and I thought it was fascinating because it's like it was a uh, like you you get to see this character fleshed out in the novels, and he's distinct enough that it's like it's he's a very I think he's a like a smart, interesting.
1: smart change though to, in the for the movie to to switch it from uh, Bacharach to Texas Hold'em.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I still me, don't know how to play it. No
1: one knows how to Back and they Bacharach. and they played in the Golden Eye. Uh, I learned I learned it. Isn't it? It's like a kind of like it's a like blackjack, solitaire, blackjack. Yeah, it's uh, um, joke.
2: it's blackjack with more math, is what it is. Uh,
0: it has something to do with gross. like
2: nines. Like your number has to end in nine. I don't know.
0: It's dumb. <laughs> yeah, which be, which begs the question: like, how did all those chain smoking, hard drinking gamblers like <laughs> how were <laughs> they, they do like, so much dude, math? Dude, yeah, after like a after a couple of martinis deep, who was sitting there thinking about like the odds, of, you were just you were just probably just rolling at that point. <laughs> um,
2: I have a question. Yeah. You said there are 25 movies? Uh, yes. How many books are there? Have they done all the books? They have done all the books. They have done all the books. And in
0: fact, Randy will probably, probably talk about this, but GoldenEye yeah. was the first one that was actually not, uh, well, first of all, it was not named after a novel. And I think yeah. was it the first one also not based on a novel? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Correct. no, no, uh, okay. those two, yeah. it's like, they got although a- they went
1: back though, because like Quantum of Solace and Spectre were. Novels, yeah, but like they would a lot of times for the the, the movies though they would pull elements from some yeah. a, after they told all those stories and would kind of like yeah it's you so, know because they would have to modernize and update them. I've too, seen but.
0: five
2: James Bond, mo- nope, six James Bond. We need to amend this. That's... The one that you, we watched with all three of us uh, was it? Living
0: was, Let that, die was one, right? yeah. Yeah. that was the uh, black exploitation. The black Living Let Die. That was and Let
2: Die, and yeah. then I saw Goldeneye. Right and then I saw awesome. uh, the Ice Hotel one.
0: That's Die Another Day. Die Another Day, right? and oh, then I that saw is... Casino
2: Royale and Quantasolis, and then uh, the one after Quantum uh,
1: That That was uh, Spectre. That was Spectre, yeah. Yeah.
2: And the one with the Komodo dragons that were, they didn't do... <laughs> or no, hits. that was Skyfall. Oh, yeah. Skyfall, right. yeah, I yeah. saw Skyfall. With the Komodo dragons that were really poorly CGI'd. <laughs> and then I stopped there.
1: You missed yeah. a lot from the old, uh, you know, like... It's, a, it's, it's <laughs> it's who was in
2: Live like and Let Die, is that... That that, is, that was, uh, that's Roger, Roger Moore. Roger Moore.
1: That's Roger Moore. Okay. Yeah. So you haven't seen like Goldfinger, any, the, the any, any of the Connery ones? I haven't seen any of the Connery ones. I think you no. would enjoy the Dalton ones. I, I think you would enjoy yeah. the
0: Dalton ones, and uh, I honestly, my favorites have been um, some of the, the later Roger Moore ones have also been really, I mean- Roger Moore was definitely aging, but... Uh, he they're... was... the
1: Like, it's a shame, because A View to Raquel's a Kells is a pretty slick movie, but yes. it's just oh. not, like...
2: I also saw Half of the World is Not Enough on cable. That is a... Yo, yeah. that is actually, yeah. I think... I like World
1: is Not yeah, Enough. Yeah, World Not Enough, I think, you, is really good. You would probably find uh, uh, aspects of Die Another Day... Or, no, not Die Another Day. Uh, Tomorrow Never Dies hilarious, because the villains are just fucking yeah. Steve yeah. Jobs and Steve yeah. Wozniak the villain the villain
0: right. the, vil, the lead is lead just Steve Jobs a standing for Steve Jobs yeah. and Steve Wozniak and uh the primary goal is they want to create wars and then print by the controlling headlines. the But yes, yeah, they want to create wars so that they know the headlines ahead of time and that's how they're going to control the world it's a very <laughs> it was making a statement about the power of the media at the time but it was just like that it was, became very dated in a way that Goldeneye still like like if, if, like yeah like isn't like it it, Mich- Michelle Yeoh, though. Hey. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought it it was it was a fun movie. I think it's just like uh, like it's a weird one. To... It's it's a weird set of stakes, you know, where it's just like it's like what is it like? What's the what's his evil plan to control the world? The newspapers. It's like it feels a little bit. Off. <laughs> it feels a little bit. Uh, I don't know. Golden
2: uh, Eye is the best one that I've seen.
0: Goldeneye dope. It, Goldeneye is, is so good. Th- it's Casino and
2: Goldeneye. Is, yeah, is I think it's it's
0: very closely tied between <laughs> Casino and Goldeneye. <laughs> I do like
2: the scene, the torture scene in Casino Royale. Isn't that the one where he gets <laughs> Matt, Matt said that's
0: right out of the yep, book. Yeah. Right yeah. from like the book. Quote, yeah, where yes. they're like exactly. shocking his nuts. Uh, yeah. They're hitting him with a... Well, with a carpet beater. Yeah. yeah, it's a carpet beater. And uh, yep, and that's... that's I was like stunned. Uh, that is what I will say is uh, when going through these novels and checking them against the movies... I was stunned by, and it was I think sixteen novels because it was sixteen movies that covered it. How faithful they stay to the plot of those novels? Yeah. I read it. It's mm-hmm. like the martini was real. Uh, oh, except uh, uh, Le Chiff in Casino Royale. Um, in the movie, uh, he the, in the movie he tries to fund terrorism by shorting that airline and blowing yeah. the. In uh, in the novel, uh, he invested in his money in a bunch of brothels in France and that year prostitution became illegal in France and that's how he lost his investment. <laughs> and that is why that's like the one wow. change is that he invested in brothels instead of an airline company. And I was like, that's, I mean, Hey, eh, you know, Do we res- uh, go back to, um, hmm. you only live twice yet. Thunderball. Oh, Thunder- Thunderball was very, I Thunder thought it, awesome. it was very cinematic. The, yeah. the, the original Sean Connery movies are, I think like you said, they're cinematic. Well, there like, there's a
1: there's kind of an elegance and and sort of prestige an, to yes, them, and, and it, then you know, and then like one the rise of the of the big blockbuster is how you got stuff like you know Moonraker and and um, but it's like that was also they uh, all
0: they're all they're all there's still value in all of them somewhere. Yeah, except oh, for another the, the one <laughs> the one thing too is that uh, it's funny because like those are like the the swab area is very much um like cinematic and and you know serious stakes but that is the era of uh what is it Smirsch or specter and blofeld mm-hmm. yeah. who yeah. was invented for the movies because in the novels all these villains that he fights they're just kind of branches of the NKVD uh, yeah. the the Soviet you know and the, you know the KGB or whatever and then i think in the movies they were like well we kind of want to give him a face like a face to this evil because if he's just fighting the Soviet Union... he's this big scar in it. Yeah, it's like, well, if he's, if he's just fighting against the Soviet Union, it's like, Bond can't win unless the Soviet Union goes down, which means, you know, it's like he, they wanted to personalize this. It's like they're, instead of being captains of, you know, Soviet intelligence, they're all captains yeah. to Blofeld.
1: <laughs> uh, but
0: anyway, that was, that it, was my nerd it rant. It
1: goes without saying that just how massive this series was and is... Um, with the, the, the movies grossing $7 billion globally. Like Just, the uh, Harry Potter
2: of the 60s, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean?
1: And uh, the, the reception <laughs> can vary, though its high points have managed to live in the zeitgeist far beyond Fleming's death and are often referenced in many of the industry's rankings of the most beloved, celebrated, like, you know, cinema. Only the future will tell if Bond ever gets surpassed by, you know, Star Wars or
0: Marvel or whatever in terms of longevity, but... Um, I think I mean, I think in terms Ship of Ship slowing down to to put a final to put a final note on the the legacy of the movies and the novels, it's just like I really do feel like it's like it's it's still popular, and also it's like it is definitely one of those characters that is like it has entered the cultural zeitgeist for sure. It's like it's like Sherlock Holmes or like yeah. any, anything that's been around for long enough, it just enters the you know the cultural subconscious. Uh, and so it's like, I think it's like, as long as there's people to produce the movies, I think, you know, they, you oh, know they going it's, also,
2: it's also set up perfectly because like Marvel and all those, they have like in order to continue them, like I was reading an article, this is a tangent a little bit, but I was reading an article that uh Warner brothers is trying to get Peter Jackson back to do more Lord of the Rings stuff, but like Lord of the Rings was three books, four books that they stretched into six movies, and then he wrote the Silmarillion, and yes. now they're trying to like yeah, you know, yeah, milk and milk that for as much as it's worth.
0: I, I'm telling you, man, dude, just look for the greed. Like, who's trying to squeeze but money like, out of it?
2: Yeah, but it's like the the lead actor can die, and they can continue because they've done it before, and they yeah. they can just remake the books. Of course, yeah, they yeah. can just keep going forever and ever. And but it, he's yeah, he's such a cultural touchstone. Yeah, the only that, problem they're going to have is eventually Ian Fleming's works are going to have to go into the public domain, so that's going to be an issue. But so,
0: whoa, wow. so actually, that is actually a, a brilliant point. Uh, they are they are doing a republication of his entire set of novels for the seventieth anniversary or something to, of his first thing. So there's how many like, years is the? God, I mean, it, if he started writing them right after World War II, it would be it would, just, well, it, it was fifty three, but I didn't know like how long. So it would be, what is?
2: I looked this up recently and I believe Disney changed They did. It. Yeah, we, we were discussing this because in it was supposed the to be going to re-up that. It used to be like 70 it was like 50 years after the first publication and then it they stretched it to 70 and then they realized that they get more time out of it and I think now it's like 80 years after the death of the original creator. So I know okay. Mickey Mouse's uh thing is officially up in like 2040 something 2045 because walt disney died and in-
1: winnie the
0: pooh's out there it's, it's yes. like 80 years after the death of the original creator yes and he died in what the 70s i think yes yeah so it's so like, did Fleming. so we're not gonna so it's gonna be like the 20 oh, no fifth. i guess
2: it would be 70 years yeah because it he died in the 70s and it's up in 2040
0: it's okay there you go so, yeah so there you go so we're eventually i got it will some be. time to figure this out
2: yeah <laughs> when did Ian fleming die that's 70s saying, as 70s well. 70s, yeah. I think. Yeah. Okay, so, it's so like, it'll you know, be around the same time. It'll be
1: around, the yeah. But I think I I think I think mixed it up
0: in my head when I said Sleek is, is Living Daylights.
1: I mean, it's fucking cool. The, uh,
0: Living Daylights, so it's like, ready? There were five movies directed by the same guy. He did the two Dalton movies and the last three Roger Moore movies. Yeah. And, I mean, various aspects of, like, first of all, Living Daylights is so sleek and is action-packed. And, you know, there are various parts of those movies that, you know, you know, you know, there, there, uh, there are different. I can comment on different things, but the one thing I have to say is they're all beautifully shot. Okay, it I was there. Yeah,
1: a lot of Bond movies would share, uh, like s- the assimil- like, uh, like if a director did one, they would usually do like a bunch, and they each had their own like identity. Yeah, and, and it's like the
0: one thing is that that he did very well. I think is that his cinematography and his it's like it really yeah. when you look at it, you can see a distinct break between the old Roger Moore movies and then this very. Like high quality, well shot, well framed, and it's like you just and watch like it pushing and like stunt work forward and, and that just was yes like that's it. All right. large set pieces. Oh, yeah. yeah, sorry, we got to stop talking about. The nah, movies. So yeah, so
1: obviously this success led to comics, toys, and even video games pre GoldenEye, as as Matt said, but uh, none of note. <laughs> but they're out there. But they're out <laughs> there. Uh, so fast forwarding back to 1995, what did 007 mean to the world then? Well. I'm a defender of it personally, but the brutally bloody license to kill in 1989 left audiences a tad divided on what they demanded from the decades old spy and his adventures. Some were burdened by nostalgia, yearning for the, as we said, you know, the, the elegance of Conroy's reign. Uh, Conroy's. <laughs> Connery's <laughs> reign. <laughs> we're leaving that in. Yeah. Um, others were outright fatigued by the seemingly never ending entries and craved something new. Yeah. Uh, or, hey, Maybe the rise of '80s action blockbusters just caused theater goers to gravitate away into more offbeat ideas. I
0: think, I think, uh, I think Hollywood out blockbustered and out action. I know Bond once Jurassic while. Park
1: happened, and, and like that yeah. broke, like you know everyone's like, uh, like yeah. I mean, even like the Spielberg
0: movies of the '80s. I think people were like, yeah. okay, we can get our, we can get we're our post Indiana Jones now. Yeah, we can get our our action, our story, and our like our our you know amazing set pieces. Like there's other options out there. Bond was no longer the leader of like, it's like, yeah, it's like they're like a uh, dress park and it's like all it's weird gadgetry. It's like the gadgetry used to be like a huge pull for people who wanted to see all the now weird. Now every movie's got gadgets. Now every movie's <laughs> got, yeah. It's like you can just invent one for.
1: One element that is for certain though, is that budgets were ballooning and, uh, you know, and this is with the pursuit of grander special effects and 007 wasn't pulling in the box office bucks that he once was. There are a myriad of factors. Um, but it was decided that James would hang up his tux and take a brief vacation. That was until the six-year hiatus ceased, during of which Dalton's contract has expired, like you said. And uh, Irish actor Mr. Brosnan was uh, chosen to reignite the franchise. This and with, as we alluded to, an entirely original screenplay. A first for the brand. All it needed was a companion piece to hook in the nerds. Um, (laughs) Hopping back within the walls of Rareware, we're going to introduce Matt Hollis into the roster of our lovable squad, uh, he was a uh, relatively new hire, uh, snatched out of college for his programming ability, um, described by his peers to be uh, infectiously enthusiastic and humorous. Uh, he savored building things um, in his youth, uh, Legos, sandcastles. That's just cool. Um, then discovering computers as he got older, altern- which you know, altered the trajectory of his life forever. Yeah. Um, already he was a follower of Rare's work, uh, being a fan of night lore. Um, In school, he had special access to their uh, Acorn BBC micro PC, uh, which uh, came with a manual sporting a diagram of the uh, circuit schematic, leading him to try his hand at the craft of making games rather than only playing them. Yeah. Um, By age 16, he had developed between 20 and 40 of his own. A few were published in magazines, while others were available elsewhere. Uh, supposedly he was one of many teen coding enthusiasts that was a result of a boom in the 80s across Britain from a nationwide uh,
0: initiative program on computer literacy and uh, sponsored by the BBC. (laughs) And this is back when also the, uh, you did not need a thick portfolio to just Say, like, hey, I want to work on video games. No, you Let's did hiring. <laughs> You know, you could basically just be like, yeah, it's like, what, uh, what program experience? Yeah, I used to make a couple games on BASIC on my Commodore. All right, yo, you got, you're better than the rest of the team. Let's go. <laughs> you know? He then studied at Cambridge University,
1: partaking in the country's uh, first classes in computer science. Um, upon joining the crew, he spent his initial year in the, uh, in the Killer Instinct team. Uh, he relished in getting to use their SG systems, learning all about the hardware. Also, he's a Tetris fanatic, like me. Uh, much in part to its emergent simplicity. Ah, <laughs> you're Randy, shaking your head. Any excuse uh, to bring it up, and I, and I am. Everybody's a Tetris
2: fanatic. That's <laughs> <laughs> not that's not exclusive to you and him,
0: Randy. I'm actually I I'm really interested in this Tetris game. Can you tell me anything more about this uh, about this game? Yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, so Don't.
2: they're coming out with a movie. Just watch that.
0: <laughs> oh, you're right. Yes. You're already obsolete, you guys.
1: Yeah. Uh, By November 1994, K.I. had shipped. He claimed not to have done a ton on it. However, he did come up with the title. Uh, Wow, really? Yeah. (laughs) it's a good title. It is good. Uh, In conjunction with this, the Super NES's fame was waning and word was beginning to spread around on Nintendo's then-codenamed Ultra 64. Hollis was eagerly reading up on the device when uh, he also caught wind of office rumors that his superiors were planning to reject the notion of Rare working on a Bond game. Hollis, being the diehard 007 head that he was, needed to convince the stampers to reconsider the offer. So how would he do that? With suggesting he front the project himself. His bosses asked him to write a design document, and by April of 95, he was given approval. Um, he was jazzed a sec to get the go-ahead, especially with the lesser amount of um, professional experience he had. Um, and not even the stigma surrounding license adaptation scared him, probably since he wasn't aware of it. He just dug James Bond, one of the most malleable characters in the pop culture echelon. Ironically, the foundation for Mr. Bond is intentionally dull. Um it's what occurs around him that escalates the drama and connection to those who engage with the stories on or off the screen, a blunt instrument as Fleming has stated, an avatar, recycling attributes of everything from a cowboy to a samurai to even a caricature of imperialist exceptionalism. He represented a predominantly male fantasy consisting of guns, beautiful women, fast cars, luxurious food and drinks, unrivaled athleticism and intelligence. It embodies the power hungriness of the FPS genre
0: where players wish to be the most badass, badass possible. So, by the way, bringing up Elise again, uh, credit to her for that phenomenal, she did a phenomenal description describing Bond, including those words... Uh, a symbol of imperial exceptionalism, and I actually remember. I took I, that. I, yeah, I distinctly for, remember, like, and it was just like <laughs> I think that's what, one of the things I tagged in there was just like it is such a good, uh, like it was just like it was it was so well spoken for like yeah what he represented going into the nineties yeah. yeah no that was uh yeah and it's funny I, to I
1: like I mentioned you know like this this weird sort of like uh, like you know moment that Bond was stuck in this uncertainty and it's it's like. When we watched *License to Kill*, that's a fucking like that's a revenge flick, it and it's is, it's yeah. at that point it was like so out of character. People weren't really like ready to like yeah like it. it suddenly no longer felt like you wanted to be him anymore. <laughs> like yeah, it was, fun. it was
0: it was very gritty and coming from *The Living Daylights*, which was a I. Uh, like very very, you was, went from like the most Bond
1: movie to the least Bond movie, yes. and they were only years apart with the same director and actor. You no, know, that
0: was it. And it was right. like uh, The Living Daylights is like very. It is a literal spy story. Yeah, that is a story involved uh, with smuggling people back and forth across the the Berlin and a Wall. Lot and a lot of surveillance. A lot of surveillance. He is. He's. He's. Uh, one of his assignments early on is to assassinate someone, which is you know. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, that's right. Spies are it's Classic. Gonna, yeah, and it's uh it's very much rooted in that like 80s uh cold war vibe. And then uh yeah, uh the fo- the follow-up was a revenge tale <laughs> based around it. based around drug like, cotton yeah. Like narco state Nar- shit. There's yeah. no like doomsday web- like it's yeah. like yeah. And it's uh it's uh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why I stand good.
1: by it. But uh but Hollis knew that rare couldn't just rely on the brand alone though. Uh as I mentioned any Prior attempts in this space to capture that magic had consistently failed. The Double-O universe had never successfully broken into games, analog or digital. To make matters worse, interest was at an all-time low. So much was riding on the GoldenEye film to do the IP It's 180, including parent holder MGM, who was struggling financially after accumulating constant debt. To avoid bankruptcy, the movie studio was desperate for a hit. In a similar fashion as the Stampers, Martin Campbell, the director of GoldenEye, was hesitant to get involved with the property as well. Casual sexism wasn't hip anymore. <laughs> the Cold War was over, and um, boulder flicks like Die Hard and Lethal Weapon were taking its place. This feeling caused employees throughout Rare to not really give a shit about the project. Surprisingly, began thought differently, building hype once they procured the license. Right. Gamers soon knew of this when it was featured in the January ninety five issue of Nintendo Power, before any work could begun.
0: I was gonna say we haven't even gotten to the development part yet. You said they, there's one guy working on the project. Rare right? wasn't I, even on board then. Like yeah, yeah like it, they were just proud that they got the rights ahead of anybody else. Yeah, thank god the industry is no longer plagued with uh, premature, you know, announcements and <laughs> uh, thank god we've moved beyond that. Yeah. yeah,
2: could you imagine if a Bond game got announced now before <laughs> the they had even started development on it? That would be crazy
1: <laughs> uh, speaking of the <laughs> Nintendo Power Edition in April uh, or that April boosted the announcement again by showing pictures of Tim meeting with the film's art director and production designers from the earliest stages publicity for the title was to be closely tied to the movie itself it was also in this that GoldenEye 007 was more or less implied to be a SNES game something along the lines of a side scroller with those famous Donkey Kong and Killer Instinct style graphics yeah Hollis, however, refused to program on anything that wasn't the N64. So the 16-bit pitch was dropped, and focus was pivoted into the uh, into you know waiting for that. Yeah. Uh, except as per the arrangement, this it was intended to be released with its Hollywood counterpart, which was dated for the that Christmas season. <laughs> um, quote: It was supposed to be a three-person project and take nine months. Little did he or anyone else know it would. Take nearly three years with ten people and two million more (laughs) dollars.
0: I mean, even that—it's like as uh, you know, as we point out, like it's just like that's that's peanuts. Like they built that engine from the ground up, from scratch, every asset from the ground up. It's like if you tried to pull that today, it's like you're looking at like good fucking luck. It's R and D like like, like for three years. uh, R and D for three. I was like, it's like you might as well like it'll be out in five, six years maybe. That's what makes the trend chasing so hilarious. Because then by the time it comes out, they're like, wait, people aren't into. You know, well, yeah, you're, they're not in any, NFTs is anymore.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, here's where we have Duncan Botwood, amongst others, in the Rareware conference room. A talented architect and RPG guy, he showcased his portfolio to the crowd: drawings, CAD mockups, and a Manila folder containing various concepts from his temp gig days. Um, he was said to be very imaginative and bond familiar. Um, this being revealed when company production manager Simon Farmer ran an interview with him when he was asked to, uh, directly what he would make for a 007 game. How long do you have? He responded. Um, luckily for them, this dude not only read all the novels and had seen all the films, yo, super but, fan, but he owned the source book for the James Bond tabletop
0: role playing game, that's copied right. and put into a ringed binder. Why? I remember reading that and thinking, like, we got to like I buy, track one down, and track see down what that's an old like. copy of what the like the tabletop game was like. It, it's like. <laughs> That's got to be interesting. I'm visualizing, like, ruleset.
1: Bond D&D, even though it's probably that's, not that. Well, that's but.
0: exactly, it's like, it's probably it's just a variation of of some sort of D&D rules. It's like, yeah. but, you know, it's like... Yeah, but how do you do that? Because you can't have a
2: party. You're
0: all James Bond. <laughs> it's, Can like, you imagine? it's like the
2: Star Wars problem where it's like, everybody's a Jedi now. Yeah, Yeah, yeah.
0: Is. <laughs> yeah you, you all... <laughs> You all walk into the gala all wearing tuxedos, <laughs> yeah. all with pistols concealed. It's just like, who's that group of people? I don't know. I <laughs> do a musical number? Yeah. Uh, so the, the entire
1: staff listened intently as he rattled off idea after idea on gadgets and, and weaponry. Um, he had no clue that this was a disguised test to see if he was a good fit to bring into the GoldenEye dev team. Uh, Obviously, he nailed the position, even getting a higher salary than his
0: friends who graduated from their
1: architecture schools and got their degrees after he dropped out.
0: Yeah, this is, this is another common thing with people who just, like, go after whatever. It's just like, yeah, it turned out to be more successful than the people yeah, who like, yeah. Suck it. Yeah. It's, it's such a, a cliché. <laughs> so that's two
1: peeps out of ten, Matt and Duncan. Uh, We'll continue on. Martin, our... Martin and Duncan. Martin and Duncan, I'm Thank sorry. You. I appreciate Martin. that you're thinking about uh, me. I got yeah. So, yeah.
2: I think you called him Matt Hollis earlier. Yes. Martin so Hollis. Martin Hollis.
1: Martin Hollis. Yeah.
0: Martin and Duncan. There's also a Mark, and that's what we're going to get into yeah, in a second, a so there's a lot of M's. I know it's so good. I do think uh, Duncan Botwood has such a, de- like, Dickensian ring to it. Like he sounds like a that's memory. He yeah. sounds like a Vic, like a Victorian chimney. Kirk Hope. Yeah, Kirkcope, yeah. Right, well, yeah, I, I apologize
1: boy. for the extra mats. Um yep. but we're gonna continue our our rundown of those uh those left that Hollis grabbed for his band of modest misfits as we progress. Um they were and still are a grateful bunch, which is awesome. Yep. And uh don't fret, we're gonna speed things up. If you're looking to get deep into the weeds, that's what Elisa's book is for. Yeah, of course. We just want to cover the highlights. Hold on. It's called James Bond
2: 007 Role-Playing in Her Majesty's Secret Service.
1: That's a bit of a mouthful, but I like... (laughs) Published in
2: 1983 until Um, 1987 when the license lapsed.
1: How much is a uh, a, a copy going forward?
2: Well, they have different books for the different... Ah, we can uh, find them online. Can, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, we can Yeah, there's mine. a Goldfinger. View to kill Doctor No. Oh, whoa! There's like live a, and let die. You oh, only cool. live twice. Oh
0: wait a second, are those like campaign books or like scenario books? Yeah, Probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder, is there like a is there like a core rule book you have to get?
2: Yeah, that's the one I just said. The role playing in emergency secret service.
1: Also, apparently,
0: I know where it's going to be a wild St. Patrick's
1: Day in this yeah. house. <laughs> it's
2: to what the reference to what I said earlier. It says, in keeping with the setting, the game focuses on few leading roles and is meant to be played like exactly. one game master and one player. Oh that wow. Is, okay, okay. Really? I yeah. actually
0: I always thought <laughs> I always thought that if you can pull off like a one on one DM and play tough. No, but it's really cool cuz it gives one person if they're really into it like like time to shine if like they're really into yeah. like that performance but aspect. There's very few people that to that can enjoy it like if you know. Yo, how many how many British nerds, you think, bought that book and made their like wife like DM just like it, just be like, come on, <laughs> come on, can you? It won it won awards,
1: I think. So, really? Yeah. No, I, I didn't think it re- you know reviewed that great, but all right. Uh, so all right, the, the highlights. Um, for instance, Mark Edwards was the first actual programmer brought in. Uh, a technically savvy fan of sci-fi, he also grew up around computers thanks to his IBM-employed father. Uh, he always dreamt of creating video games, but his school didn't offer any such class on the matter, so he self-educated combing book after book of mathematics and the like. Uh, Not being able to obtain a career in the industry, he pursued the medical field for a while to accumulate experience. He then applied for Rare when coming across a page in Edge, uh, advertising the upcoming Ultra 64 collab and hoping to be a participant in that recent Nintendo partnerhood. Tossed his hat into the ring and voila, uh, by January 1995, he was in. Uh, They tasked him with playing Ridge Racer on the then-recently-released PlayStation 1 uh, before starting training on a uh, strange project, asking him to learn more about how to animate joints on a 3D character, something we'd see in practice in uh, Goldeneye years later. He also had zero clue the assignment was attached to James Bond. Joints? Uh, He was just thrilled (laughs) to finally be working on games. I love
0: weed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah he actually he actually uh, he got the job he actually uh, uh, called a phone number on a bathroom stall that he yeah. found he it. and it just it, it led it led to Rare's hiring offices they're just like whoa this yeah, is a good time yeah yeah
2: I just imagine a, a small town in the middle of the countryside of England and there's like a telephone pole with one of those papers that yeah. you yeah. let the number off of yeah <laughs> do you want to yeah. work on video games yes I do <laughs> yeah I also
1: have these, uh, this old guitar that I'm yeah. uh, <laughs> interested in buying. Uh, yeah. so next is Carl Hilton, the Ferrari-loving modeler who spent weeks rendering his favorite car into a full asset, who upon meeting Hollis was uh, too prodded of his opinion on 007. Without hesitation, he told him he too was a devoted Bond fan, and then the job of building the game's environments went to him, making Carl the first artist among the crew.
0: Yes, that is probably... A, there's plenty of fascinating dev stories, but like... Man, it's like what a job he got to build those levels. Uh, yeah. You know, it, uh, on the topic of uh, topophilia and level design and being in love with maps, it's like I just think it's like Which man, they'll all be
1: familiar, uh, all you listeners. Yes, on that team, we, yeah. we we talk
0: a little bit about this topic <laughs> about video game levels and and nostalgia in the interview. It's a very fascinating yeah. talk. But uh, yeah, if I had one job on that on that team, I this would be, love. It would be his. It would have been his. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really it's really awesome.
1: Uh, like Duncan, he was an architect, and like Matt Hollis, he had a past creating his own software, published a magazine. Magazines. He used to stake out his, uh, his campus's lab to have access to CAD on their Macs, uh, one that he'd sometimes pack up and bring home on holiday breaks. He then studied computer visualization and uh, Burnmorth, the university's uh, master's program, and found himself a Rare shortly after. Cautious of the vibe that surrounded licensed products, he remained professional, awaiting what his role would entail. Uh, now we have Brett Jones, uh, their uh, second artist. He was another fresh-out-of-college uh, graduate, uh, and th- this was for graphic design. He he was known throughout the office as their their resident jokester <laughs> who'd lighten the mood. Uh, he had a reputation for being quite the collector as well. Same, uh, Star Trek and and Bond memorabilia, which was a, a, a plus. Um, that and he saved everything from his tenure at the company, including swaths of uh, Goldeneye character portraits. I think uh, Elise was talking about. He yeah. was doing like showing uh, showing off, yeah, stuff, and-, and it's just it's so good. Yeah. Um, also, he had a, a great rapport with Hilton as they uh, had sat together geeking out in, in one of their BU courses. Uh, Carl actually was the one who got him his recommendation to come to Rare. Uh, interestingly, he wasn't much of a gamer and was um, <laughs> instructed to flub the
0: truth a bit at the advice of Hilton. A move that proved victorious. <laughs> Which, uh, uh, by the way, being the uh, the team joker... <laughs> Uh, for British people, that, that can be anything from just, like, a slightly drier wit to, like, just the driest wit, you know? It's, <laughs> a, it's just like, a, yeah, he's just slightly more biting in his remarks yeah. than everybody else, yeah. In America, it just means you smack folders out of people's hands.
1: Yeah, so, of course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, where a
2: clown is to work.
1: And go, <laughs> 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 <Patch out>. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Once on the team, he watched videos to educate himself on uh, Aaliyah Wavefront, later uh, renamed Maya, uh, a system dedicated to making sprites. Uh, Soon he had conquered the ability to model, rig, light, animate, and render using ships from Star Trek as references. Uh, He then transitioned from space vehicles to humans, and to his astonishment got invited to the 007 staff Um, full-time. Otherwise still in use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, prior to any more members getting recruited, it was here that we'd have our first real brainstorming session on what Gold and I could be within their capabilities and brand oversight. Uh, what is the appropriate level of violence? Can we procure footage from the film set? Can we insert authentic music? And what about the famous title sequence, the barrel? Um, or camera, depending on, uh, the, the it's, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are the details when it came to the celebrity likenesses of the series' actors and actresses? Uh, how should we approach tone? Uh, 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 Elisa's book emphasizes the game's uh, inclusions of humor to balance out the killing. You yes. Know? yes. Um, so uh, it was. It was also exciting, and they stayed in close touch with Nintendo on the answer to many of these questions. While not often cited today for their allowance of artistic freedom, oh, yeah. uh, rare
0: were pumped to find out how broadly they could paint their brushes. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's like, you know, you just brought up the, the initial staff. If they had an area that they were working on, occasionally they had input and like, you know, uh, assistance from other people. But yeah. it's just like, you know, that is a very grand sense of importance in the work when it's like Duncan Botwood is responsible for the character modeling. It's like, Whatever work he does, that is what gets put in the final game. And, like, whatever decisions he makes, yeah. those are his decisions made. It's, like... It's far less, like, corporate, like, just oversight in general than yeah. you would expect. And it's, like, that... I can, Especially with,
1: from Nintendo.
0: And I can, I mean, I can speak from experience that it's, like, when your contributions to the project are that massive, it's just, like, that drives you for sure. And it's, like, that is a very big difference between they talk about how much crunch time... And how, how tough it was, but it's, you know, that's the difference between that and, like, forced crunch time and overtime that burns people out. Yeah. Yeah, that, it's a huge, that motivating factor of, like, like how much do you own this finished product is, like, <laughs> it changes your, your mindset. Now, in
1: GoldenEye's earliest pitches, it was gearing to be an on-rail shooter, a la Sega's Virtua Cop. Yep. Um, just without the need of a light gun peripheral. <laughs> yep. Uh, the campaign's paths would be heavily scripted. But Hollis wished to intensify the genre and and go from stationary screens to faster-paced missions depicting a wide range of backdrops so the player wouldn't become bored. Uh, Arcade titles were quick, repetitive quarter-eaters, but this was a full-scale home release. Right. He also wanted destructible objects and extensive visual effects, explosions, muzzle flashes, bullet holes, and needed more robust gameplay than Virtual Cop. More animations, more sophisticated AI, more interactivity. The team then began... Conversing on the idea to expand on the movie's plot line in order to add additional set pieces, ones that feature stealthier moments of sabotage and even rescue objectives um except they had a a, a tall hurdle to cross before yeah. any of these concepts could come to fruition. None of them had n sixty four hardware to work on yet <laughs> not at all they didn't even
0: know they didn't even know what the controller would yeah. look like, and that was actually that was their primary hurdle to actually committing to taking it off rails was like they wanted to do it, but they didn't know if it was possible until they knew what the controller yeah. was going to be like. It's like it wasn't until they got that that it's <laughs> like, and so it's like that was probably responsible for and, a and, lot of the early delays. And
1: not just no controller, but no like no, I mean like no not, not no, even, no development kits, no documentation of not, specs. Yeah, on specs, yep. They just had a uh, it was like a chipset emulator. Yep. Um, this literally went on for an entire year of production. Yeah, but. They didn't, you know, just sit back and twiddle their thumbs. Hollis and Edmund chose to use this time to program the engine. Hilton then was assigned to levels, Jones on characters, Botwood bounced around to give assistance on anything possible, and they got that first alpha build up and running in about, like, 12 months or so. Um, a, a process that
0: couldn't be more different than the age of sharing engines and assets now, uh-huh. you know? Oh, yeah. um. I mean, just going back to what you said about how the deadline expanded from nine months to, what do you say, like two and a half, three years or so? Uh, yeah, I mean, the the, the goalpost got moved. Uh, no, no, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. like, but it's like, bear in mind that that is actually a, you know, a pretty impressive development cycle for what they eventually produced. Yeah. But think about it, it's like a, a full year of that was spent basically unable to move past the prototype stage. So it's like they got a yeah. late start for what they did. Cut off a year of that, uh, two and a half, like, so they had, like, you know, once they finally got their hands on the hardware, it's just, like, they had, you know, a year and a half to get from prototype to finish. It's, like, it's very impressive what they managed to accomplish. You know,
1: you're right. Looking back, like, it's, that's just makes it that all the more, like, yeah. <laughs> like
0: they, they really, like, they worked with what they, like, they put their all into, like, every step of this, and the fact they were still able to get it out. The basic framework on this was assembled from fucking scratch like you said yeah. like yeah, yeah like there was no there was no prior engine that they could just they they couldn't just take the doom engine and and reskin it it's like yeah. they did everything from scratch it's
1: like uh it, you're you're chopping down the tree to build the house you're not just starting yeah, with the, the exactly. planks like uh yep. this way would be optimized solely for their project the the tools then the game no unreal or unity to uh mitigate the load uh techniques were invented simply to trek forward um soon they were on camera placement, hitbox testing, um the aiming um there was verticality, uh three key innovations in separating Goldeneye from the sea of doom clones flooding uh, the market. Yeah.
0: That was like that was the era right there. It's like at that point it was like reskins and yeah. Yeah, reskins and I think I think uh was Hexen fully 3D or was that actually also mm, another That was sprite based. Still sprite mm-hmm. based. Yeah, so it's just White like was
2: the first fully 3D one that yeah. it did.
0: So, and it was just like it would have been
2: after this,
1: Uh no Quake was ninety six. So it was it was while this it was in, yeah. after
2: this is what I mean. Oh
1: yes, they they they, they where Quake, we're at
0: right now, there was nothing to go. Quake off was of. not out yet. That type Quake of precision came out before like, GoldenEye,
2: but look, yes. correct not where, in the timeline where we currently are. Yeah,
0: I mean we do also have to. uh I the, mean to, the only other
1: thing that's. Only barely analogous to this is, I guess, Torak was was yes. uh, was in development, but neither were aware of the other. And was like, was
0: I think Torak was also ninety seven, right?
1: It was. It was earlier that year, and that's yeah. when. Uh, and I it was mean, funny because it was like Torak came out, and people were like, "This is pretty good." And the Gold Knight came out, and they're like, "Oh, yeah." Well, I mean, <laughs> and I like Torak. No, just a, t-
0: listen, Torak. Torak was also had the benefit of riding on the heels of. Jurassic Park and so everybody was <laughs> yeah, that's a good and point. so if you, they came up with a game that's like yeah you want to shoot the dinosaurs that cover you know was like yeah, yeah no torque, no Torik uh, uh, I think uh, it eventually evolved into being its own thing yeah, but in, it has in, this place in, in comparison to like
1: what it was doing that was new it didn't oh uh, yeah no all
0: it's this. it's GoldenEye eclipsed it by, <laughs> by far
1: uh, during the tweaking of these mechanics Hollis proposed the idea of quote free movement making it totally open however this wouldn't eliminate what they had done to this point but instead be a bonus feature. Um, They just need a better look at what was inside the N64 to turn the prospect into a reality. Within a few months, the team found themselves on the list of those able to visit the film shoot. There was an abundance of food for the taking, drinks, fancy car rides. Uh, These guys were in heaven. Jones couldn't resist himself and even took a couple uh, shell casings and fake glass shards from the soundstage of Sylvaniers. I haven't done the same (laughs) thing. Oh yeah. They, uh, they fervently occupied a table in the studio's cafe, catching a brief glimpse of Brosnan as he uh, he, uh, came in and out of the room there. Eon was in being incredibly accommodating, uh, though Nintendo still hadn't sent them dev
0: stations. God damn it.
1: Uh, Regardless, they used the trip wisely taking pictures of whatever they could, sets, props, costumes. By doing this, many of the in-game textures were directly taken from those set photographs and scaled down to maintain as true to the movie's aesthetic as they can.
2: You know (laughs) know what's wild about that? Yeah. If you were to make a Marvel, just use Marvel as the analog, if you were to make a Marvel video game now and you've set visit, you literally cannot do that because the sets are done (laughs) after the movie is filmed.
1: Oh my God! that's a good point,
2: yeah. yeah,
0: yeah.
1: I know it's like sometimes those directors are chosen like after scene, uh-huh. their scenes are already shot, like yep. you know like like the v f x like mm-hmm. studio is already
0: wow the, what, yeah, what like
1: just the whole process
0: at which everything is yeah has changed mm-hmm. so and much but. I mean, you know anybody who's played gold Knights like play the game and then watch the movie, and it's like. There's it's like, cool. I love doing that well, comparison. Dude. It's it's like there's like things where it's just like okay, based on just what you can see from what they got from the scene and the levels. The level is almost like a a true to yes. life match for what like I think the perfect The game, game only deviates when you're like what's behind that door? That's, that you, you know, so like, the, yeah, like yeah, like, the game expands the, into the areas you don't see yeah. on the sets in the movie, but the parts of the set that are shown are copied so directly, I think a, a great example is when uh, the archive scene. Yes, okay, that's that it, yeah. level, pa- the parts of doors. that level that you see in the film, the not just how it looks, it's like but the, the route he takes, the exact yeah. bl- floor plan of that level is based that's on so that cool. set. What's even cooler, you, he even leaves the interrogation room, go, goes up the exact staircase in the movie. And then his way through that with that, yeah. that
1: big room with all the bookshelves and then the but tall yeah. windows and he, yeah. he
0: goes down the H-shaped hallway and turns towards his right towards the main archive and that is wh- how the game is yeah. you make that exact turn into the archive and it's like yeah they had to take some liberties with the grates in the the archives but it's like it's really like it's like it is so like, it's like could, as close as you could get it's as close yeah. as you could get you could have honestly like they could have looked at it and they could have said. This is too challenging. I can't work with this. I can't make a level like this. It's just too boring. It's like no. They stuck. They to, They knew where,
1: how to fill it in with their imagination. Yeah, it's,
0: and it's like that. I think adds to. I think you know. We talk. I'm sure, we're going to talk about the level design. It adds to that sense of realism in the game. Oh uh, yes, a lot of this was apparent in Golden eyes
1: realism because the majority of FPSs on the scene were pretty fantastical in nature. Yeah. You know, cartoonish. Like that's not at all slight. I mean, it's like Doom. You're in hell. You know, like it's. This project wanted to replicate something tangible, an opportunity Rare had never previously had. What you'd witness in the theater could then be replayed on your house's CRT, um, from memorable scenes like sneaking through the vents of facility and the St. Petersburg tank chase to recognizing the familiar faces of Trevelyan, Natalia, Zina, Boris, that, Valentin, and Norma. The yeah. scene,
2: the bottling... Yes. Room yeah. in facility was that was like when you play the game and then you get to that because that's the first set yeah I guess dam kinda too but it's that's, brief, it's but. Just, just a dam yeah whereas when you get to the bottling uh, room in facility you're like this is yeah exactly <laughs> I was like when I was we were playing it here At one stairwell and uh, where we your brother was there and I I I just escaped the same way Bond escapes in the movie through yeah, that little the conveyor, conveyor belt. belt. Yeah. And Chris was like, wait, you can get out that way? I was, and Randy's like, yeah, that's how he gets out in the movie. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I think even before you get to the bottom, uh, in the movie, you get he, he leaves the bathroom that looks exactly as it does in the game the door he leaves the bathroom to is the same view of the stairs looking oh, down. Those vantage down points to, are like, And yeah, even in, in the bottling one. room, and I think, again, this adds to the realism, uh, in the movie he shoots a grate and a bunch of, uh, like, like metal containers flood down they're the room. They're up there. Yeah. Well, the, the containers aren't up there, but the place where they would be is modeled into the game. Even though when you go in there, there are no enemies. There's no point in going in there whatsoever. It's just it's there. It's just there. For completeness, yeah. and it's like that is truly, I think, <laughs> what like it's like made me obsessed with like just like looking. It's like they put so much attention, they stuck to so much attention to detail. It is fun looking at something so well designed. The same, it, it's like wandering out a movie set. It is, yeah, <laughs> it's really, really, it's it's fantastic, and and the parts that they had to come up with on their own are so are are. Uh, fantastically well done, I think. Yeah. yeah, and and although their their goals were to be faithful, Hollis was
1: hoping to include a, a healthy number of locales to explore, and that that uh, the, the crew felt the source material didn't have enough to provide this. So trust was then given to pad the campaign out to grow the story's lore. A decision they received no contesting on. Um, you know they weren't the same medium Matt, uh, uh, that Martin thought. Um, <laughs> I say Matt again. Jeez, uh, if they stuck too close, it'd be too predictable. Um, this was how we got dam, surface, and silo, um, yeah. uh, frigate, depot, and caverns. Yeah. It was a solid plan. And uh, not only that, but if it wasn't portrayed on screen already, then there would be no point of comparison, and they could prioritize on maximizing frame rate in those sections.
0: Yeah. And actually, so uh, aside from the first three levels, if you cut out the material that is not in the movie, you would go to frigate and then straight to statue. That is yeah. just halfway through the game. It's like, so it's like the action that Bond is a, a literally a part of, really in the movie, does not happen until he statue, because uh, he meets up with Valentine the before big, then, yeah, and it's like twist. Severnaya was all uh, Natalia, it's Silo doesn't even happen in the You're movie. You're right, that's, yeah, that's from and her so perspective. Like, so it's like, they them going off script really, it's like it could have been like a, a 12 level game, instead of like what, the 20 that it wound up being, yeah. and it's like that extra material. Excluding the
1: bonus ones. <laughs> yeah, it, like it fleshed out the game very well. So they buckled down. Um, wireframe models of each level were built with textures overlapping them. Gridded paper was sketched on for enemy and item placement. Areas such as bunker and statue became near labyrinthian in scope. But certain hints were inserted to aid guiding the player towards the action. like yeah. little Arrows and whatnot. Um, Jones and Smith reminisced on the creation of jungle based on their time with rendering foliage in Donkey Kong Country. Uh, fog, a tactic used to hide draw distance and increase performance all its way into maps akin to these... Um, this detriment was then uh, basically turned itself into a benefit as an yeah. increased engagement with zoomable scoped weapons, an unheard of option in 1997. Um, cradle and Streets were identified to be the most insane to figure out, this in relation to their uh, openness. Yeah. Um, the latter even resulted in a mistake where the the final block emptied into uh, to the void, into the endless dark void that Elisa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. um yeah.
0: but you know it's whatever. That we as we all were integrated. That just added to the charm. It just added to the charm. It was actually it was just it was just a very smoggy depot. Uh, yeah, you know you gotta really you breathe carefully in there.
1: There were uh, Easter eggs and little inside jokes hidden. All over the damn place. Oh, yeah. The no bond sign. All over
0: the damn place. It,
1: oh, that wasn't even intentional. Uh, Rare's logo and graffiti, yep. the uh, the VHS tape and clob, of course. Uh, except old eagle Eye Nintendo, they gave one of their earliest inputs on cutting content when testers spotted the Russian word
0: for vodka yeah. on the side of those brown crates that you see scattered about. Man, it's just like, damn, this testers must be like some of like the most qualified testers that they've spotted a word in Russian. And it's just like it's like who who notices that <laughs> yeah. and is also able to like they also like uh, let me let me translate that to make sure it's kosher. I think it's funny. In the final version, it, they instead read VADCO. <laughs> they read VADCO. And I think uh, uh, Elise in her book, uh, one of the developers had a great reaction. Uh, Nintendo was a very family-friendly company, and those families don't drink vodka. <laughs> <laughs> but never did they think that so,
1: so many people would be inspecting every inch of their work over the next quarter century. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, yeah. yeah. that's Yes. Uh.
1: Meanwhile, as the rest of Rareware were hammering down in the trenches... GoldenEye, the motion picture, was getting ready to have its premiere at the Radio City Music Hall over in New York. Uh, And there was a massive weight on Brosnan and director Martin Campbell's shoulders uh, that, you know, this was their chance to save the then-dying cinematic franchise. Uh, Curiously, uh, Pierce had been the choice for Bond since the mid-'80s when the film's prologue was set. Um, But his contract for the television show Remington Steel made it unobtainable till then. Um... It goes without saying that everybody will always have their personal favorite when it comes to their 007. Yeah. Uh, thankfully Pierce's debut outing saw positive praise, and oh, the yeah. movie
0: itself was a commercial hit too. Oh yeah, it's one of those movies that it's just like you can't really recapture it because it was the post-Soviet era. Yeah. And so it's like it's one of those movies that really captures like. Just like that, uh, the, like, going to, like, the 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 Fallen Monument Park with all the old yeah. comics. It's like, it really had this this these themes of, you know, it's like, you know, moving on from the past and, like, what is, like, what's the new thing? Because, like, the fall of the Soviet Union it changed the yeah. world.
1: And Bond had to change, too. I mean, like, the, the character managed to cleanly break into the new age with a techno-thriller plotline and visuals to match it. A fresh take from a fresh cast of writers and producers to get the property back on track. Um, and this was uncharted territory. Like you said, it's like the, the USSR was no more, the Berlin Wall was no more. Uh, the threats had to change. His companions needed updating. Um, and they did. Uh, a sexy entry for the '90s crowd. Um, thematically, you know, Elise describes uh, both the film and the game as signifying the uh, the passage of time. A response yes. to the ever-forming social and political shifts in the modern in the modern world. Yeah. Um, the anxieties of evolving technologies, the rise of global communication, the, the intro music video that uh, Tina Turner song captures yeah. this. And these subtextual components would even be an element of the Austin Powers, uh, you know, Eternal Man of Mystery, like yeah. uh, like satirizing of, of, of tropes of, of two years after. Yeah. Um, each host a lesson in workplace harassment. <laughs> the former being delivered by M, who was now portrayed by a woman. By, uh, yeah, Judi um, Dench. Judi Yeah, and, and the, the, sorry, yeah, and and the, the tone could remain horny, especially with its femme female antagonist, uh, yeah. Enya, but having the love interest be a programmer sent a signal to those in the current generation. Brosnan and Campbell acknowledged the self-awareness of leftover non-PC moments intentional so that the calling outs could occur. Uh, What is uh, she referred to? It's a a sexist misogynist dinosaur. A sexist misogynist dinosaur. A relic of the the Cold War.
0: And uh, I mean, it's like, uh, it's it's a testament of the movie that it's like, they needed to bring this series into the 20th century. But if you look closely enough, it is still has all these Bond staples in it. Yeah. I pointed out the last time we watched it, I was like. Just like through
1: a different lens.
0: Yeah. uh, It's like, it's like, it's, it's so, it's so hard to to realize because they don't call it out. But. The bad guy has a hidden lair underneath a fake lake, which <laughs> yeah. is so bond, but when you're watching it, it doesn't, it, feel, it doesn't feel out of place or campy. It yeah, yeah, it doesn't feel campy. It doesn't feel like a lair. It's it, treated with such sincerity. Yeah, yeah. It feels like it's like it's his opera it's his headquarters, it's operations center. It makes yeah. sense. But if you think about it, it's uh, the bad guy's lair. Like it
1: remarkably it stays cohesive despite like on paper that sounding And
0: yeah, no. And silly. it was like to have to have Natalia be a programmer was it shift to computers the satellite no longer uh is attached with uh a laser or nuclear missiles an EMP it's an EMP wait, blast wait, I know that, that came up in the interview I never like thought it was like that was probably the first time I ever heard of that concept, that concept like as a yeah. weapon like yeah, you know and like, it's like that is and I think it does I think it's uh there's a great uh a fantastic shot where it's like you see the golden eye laser charging up and you hear this chirping noise and it, it builds and builds and builds yeah and it's like but instead of seeing this blast shoot out of the laser you see a couple flashes of light and that's enough to, to completely wipe out so cool the the base and it's like it's enough to just, it's like wow it's like just a couple like you can't even see the thing that is going to just like wipe also, out also the,
1: uh, the miniatures in that movie Dope. (laughs) Yeah, it's very well done. So, James was relevant again. The hiatus was done. In in the UK, it was the third largest box office opening ever. Only behind Jurassic Park and Batman Forever. And the biggest in MGM's history or any prior Bond release. Grossing $365 million in its its run. Uh, More when you account DVD sales. I adore the GoldenEye film. Uh, You know, like, not just because it was my first, but it's, it's so fun and well edited. The score is stellar. Save the IP until um, it needed saving again in two thousand six. But you know, we'll we'll get there when we come to it.
0: By the way, <laughs> speaking of uh, 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 Alex Lair, uh, rest in peace the Arecibo Complex. That's uh, I, I think I believe I knew it sustained yeah. damage and I believe it is officially retired. Man, it's like whoever came up with that choice be like to look took a look at it and be like, this is our yo, yeah. this is like this is our like our our set here. piece right here because it looks so cool and it's like. In real life, yeah, it, it does. In, in real life, it was used for, uh, you know, it, for astronomy and all these like, r- like really like beneficial uh, uh, things for science. And in the movie, it's just like, <laughs> yeah, it's used to guide a, we- a weapons. What about that Easter
1: Island train looking thing? What do you think that was used? For?
0: <laughs> I so I have gone back and looked up, and I'm like, was that actually modeled on a real Soviet? I, train? I've always been curious. And and I, I right couldn't now. find anything about okay. it. Okay, like like, an invention. I was like, if it's so, intimidating looking. If so. Dude, the Soviets knew how to make something look oppressive. And yeah. You see that, and you're like, that thing just like, it just is ominous. What? I mean, if, if, if you're more yeah. on that right now,
1: play Atomic uh, McCart. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh,
0: and actually, uh, that exact train model, though, does make a cameo in the second Tomb Raider game. What? Rise of the Tomb Raider uh, in a warehouse. Get the fuck a, out of here. No, in a warehouse at the end of train tracks, There, that train is housed and just covered in debris and dark. It doesn't even I point out, that. but I looked at it, and I was like, that's the train from GoldenEye.
1: Awesome. Yes. That's rad. I, yeah, I, well, uh, so, anyway, this, this uh, red carpet event uh, was on November 13th, 1995, if I, if I didn't state that. Um, that month also marked a Tokyo game show hosted by Nintendo to finally grant those uh, beggars a glimpse at the much-anticipated and still-unfinished N64. 3D was here, y'all. <laughs> and GoldenEye 007 was among those titles there to support the console's reveal. Um, unfortunately, this presentation would portray the game in an incomplete, unpolished form. With a tiny teaser vid uh, in the footage, and early archives was shown. The visuals were there, but the way it would later play was not the least bit like yeah. you know analogous to, to this um, to this trailer. Um, the movement was still on rails. The speed was slow. The action scripted. There wasn't even a gun model on the screen. Uh, it appeared. Barely interactive. Hollis
0: called the showing a a sham, a facade. It was, yeah. It was, yeah. They even said- As with many similar demos at trade expos. I don't know. No, for sure. And it was like, I mean, yeah. It's like obviously nobody could predict the future and be like, this game is going to look so different on launch. But also, they overshadowed themselves because they had a setup for, I believe, Banjo-Kazooie there. And people- No, no, no. That's E3. Oh, I'm That'll getting be ahead three. of myself. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: uh, so their, their engine wasn't finalized, let alone uh, missions or objectives, but with its Hollywood counterpart now basking in its riches, it was obvious that Rare had missed its initial deadline. The first many. And uh, the name would then drift further into irrelevancy with each passing day. Not that this was their fault. Uh, the hopes of Goldeneye being a core launch title and synchronized tie-in were also dashed by the delay of the platform itself. Everyone was behind schedule, to be honest. Um, but here arrives Dr. Doke's time to shine. Uh, see, over the ensuing months, Rare's team would hire on new members. You had Addie Smith, a second environmental artist, and the aforementioned David Doak, uh, a system administrator who had only been employed at the studio for about a year and a, or half a year when Hollis discovered a fax hinting that he may leave for another career out in New Zealand. Turnover rates at the company were supremely low, as so many of the people there were heavily invested in their respective projects, which therein lay the issue. Doak would pop around the rooms and stations within their office, though there wasn't a whole lot for him to really do. He was antsy. He wanted to make games, but didn't have the programming knowledge to properly provide that assistance. Hollis then encouraged him to join in on on what they were doing and, and telling him he could give input here and there on aspects of their design. The offer was irregular, but it did make him stay. Um, post that TGS show, Martin wanted, uh, more crew with them. It was either that or this shit was getting canceled. Um, they couldn't have those impressive pieces, you know, going to waste. Onboarding Doak was awesome for morale.
0: Yeah, he eventually became GoldenEye's pseudo human mascot. Yes, he's very active on Twitter, and he still loves fan engagement. The best profile, pic. And, it, <laughs> and in fact, he's like he's, he frequently yeah he does interviews, fan meetups,
1: like well, and it's like especially that silly online presence with all his followers.
0: There is that you know the it's Xbox great. Live uh, remake was leaked last year. I'm sure you'll talk more about that, but oh yeah, that was next like episode. it's like he keeps there. There's He's been very active lately because it's like he's had a lot there's a lot been a lot of golden eye attention so it's like he's been very active he's and he still loves it he's Yeah, has been great yeah yeah uh, apparently i uh, apparently uh, uh fans love to send him gifts of shooting his character in the dish and he and he <laughs> yep and he and he likes every single one of them. yep he he's totally cool with it. So. Uh, it's uh, what a way for your legend to live on. yeah. Um, but yeah, so he was responsible
1: for the overall structure of campaign levels, uh, placement of objects and, and you know what have you. Uh, and yes, he is indeed a doctor. Yeah. Uh, he studied at fucking Oxford for a decade, earning his BA MA and PhD in biochemistry. He's got many papers published on sodium channel proteins and other stuff I don't understand. Uh, and also, he stumbled on the job at Rare through an Edge magazine spread as well. Jesus, Edge magazine, man. But this uh, tube uh, managed their uh, their network of silicon graphics machines. Yep. Um, I yep. guess that's how they found you back then.
0: Yeah, that was magazine. the, yes, <laughs> yeah, the uh, silicon graphics. That was uh, the SGI's I had mentioned before, right? They yes. were like, yeah, they, yep, were, yep. they were, I feel like they were very instrumental in the making of this game. <laughs> so,
1: uh, being a consumer of uh, their company's prior works, he applied for a laugh and then was hastily snatched up. Considering there weren't many folks who were well-versed in operating those SG computers, uh, you know, like you
0: said. Yeah. Um, and unbeknownst to him, this was, this was in high demand for video games of that era. Making the jump from system administrator to full-blown game design and, like, game programming very impressive leap because it's like the system administration guy on the job, but it's like, it would literally be as if I just got a job as a game developer, just not likely just having the, the that's portfolio. a big transition. Yeah, just having the job experience. It's like not having any portfolio, not having And it's like, well, you know, the system, you know, the, the hardware. So, you know what? And it's like, it's like, again, it goes back to letting someone taking a chance on someone and giving them room to fail. Yeah, but he didn't, he did
1: very yeah. well. Yeah. yeah. His mother though was in shock 10 years of training in the biochem field to quote run away with the circus she said
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is also i feel like but it was a route he never regretted taking i feel yeah. like that is also uh, 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 a tale like a like a classic tale of like people who go for advanced degrees and then just changing course mid... Uh, like, you this know. is more fun, anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it does happen, and it's, like... <laughs> it's, it's such a... It's a great story. I love it.
1: Yeah. Uh, so, going from overseeing their expensive fridge-sized mainframes to GoldenEye Consultant was inspiring to him. Uh, he would teach himself coding in any down hours, ultimately leading to his creation of the glorious watch screen we know today. Accompanied with its cherished music track, the menu displayed everything from your available gadgets and weapons to the status of your mission tasks... Here players could also you know tweak their their game settings aspect ratio, which is pretty nifty, and it accurately gives the time uh, in the context of its fiction anyway. Yes. um, as detailed as these touches are, it also invent a controversial feature, which we we joked about in the uh, the interview quite a bit. Uh, Unlike other titles, the pause wouldn't actually immediately halt the gameplay. Yeah. To the frustration of users, the animation of Bond's
0: arm lifting made him vulnerable to getting shot for precious seconds. Yeah. Oh, and trust me, man. This was on purpose. Oh, listen, on Double O Agent, I've... <laughs> I can pause to restart the mission, and I won't even have to because in that half second, yeah. I lovely lost. That's all when my you're health. just like, all right, I'm, I can't get the cheat this way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's. But this this would put a stop to spammers and uh,
1: supply extra tension when in combat. He did recount it as being quote slightly sadistic,
0: but is content with the mechanic nonetheless. <laughs> I thought that was good that he that he stood by that decision. I thought, uh, you know, it. You had said you had known about that, but I had never even really connected the dots of like oh. the, the only
1: reason aside, vivid memories when you're a kid, in that game, uh, there's an element we're gonna get into in next episode when it came to the friction of movement. And if you when you get shot, uh it's not for the, the NPCs, but it it is relevant to the player characters, both in single and multi. If you get shot, you glot, you move. So if you if you go to look at your watch and you get hit you would you would like bounce back you'd like like on ice skate like, Which know, is, like i mean
0: like <laughs> even more frustrating is like not when you're not when you're pausing it but if you were trying to rush to an objective like you have to uh press a computer you can leave. Yeah, stand in. yeah,
1: it'll knock you out of the way of interacting. Yeah, with Yeah, it's like you'll
0: press the button in facility to open the door, and if you get shot from the doorway, it will push you away, and you won't, and you'll miss the the button, the button hit. <laughs> yeah. And actually, another thing that I, uh, I again, really became more aware of in this playthrough, you pointed out the enemies that charge at you and keep They're firing relentless, and I was like, I. No, you know, I just was never—I never really paid that close attention yeah. playing this prior. But once you pointed out the charging enemies, I never missed it when they did it, and I hated it. Yeah, it's, it's,
1: it's, you it's, fuckers! <laughs> it's,
0: on Double O Agent, a charging enemy will, will end half your health or it'll more end the mission for yeah. you for sure.
1: Uh, and inclusions such as uh, such as that were were just an example in adhering to their development principles. Um, is it fun? Is it funny? Is it consistent to the game's universe? And is it fair? to elaborate on that last value there, they didn't believe that things were always required to be fair from the get-go. Right. Uh, you'd learn that pausing could potentially cause your demise, that certain items will get randomly spawned, that innocent scientists or civilians can get in your line of fire. It's unconventional and pushes the and, and the boundaries of fairness, but hey, it keeps with the language and their interpretation of fair. Yes. That's how you'd learn, you know, it's, like it's, Yes, it's consistent. <laughs> They, just like the their rules on like realism, you know like it's, yeah,
0: you're right, it's like when you look at it when enemies get caught in an explosion, they sometimes they're one they're like they're one for the bird watcher sometimes they fucking, <laughs> they they go walk right into it, and it's like i think the, the the perfect example that uh you and Elise pulled out was the fact that everything explodes now, does it make sense <laughs> that desks and chairs also explode no, but but it is hilarious, But everything explodes, and as long as it's consistent it exactly yes and it's like it's funny because it's like you're right as a kid i didn't even question why it is like maybe i did question but it's like you just come to know that everything explodes you're you're just like no this all makes sense yeah yeah Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. i just uh yeah (laughs) i love the mainframes in that game because they look like old old school mainframes. (laughs) mainframe big blocky things they're great yeah (laughs) moving on to modeling characters
1: faces in particular uh some nice uh references were needed this was when jones would go about the office's uh Collecting photos of employees to wrap over the heads of any non SAG figures necessary for MPC variety. They'd snap whoever nearby who was willing um, the IT staff, the kitchen staff, their gardeners, a plumber, 12, <laughs> Tim Stamper's 12 year old son, even the friendly office maid Sally. Yeah. And she was delighted to oblige. Uh, it wasn't what the industry tends to use for, uh, you know, yeah. shooter titles. I'm like, really
0: sure they had like an HVAC or a plumber guy. That they used, and they're like, yo, come on over here. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just like, yeah. Do you think he knows? Like, I am actually... So it's like, I I would have to know if they if he actually wound up in the game or not, because I'm fairly sure that he probably took more, more head shots than he probably needed. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know how many of them wound up in the end. I mean, how did... I mean, 12 year old son, it's like, what did he wind up uh, did looking make, like in the end? Yeah. yeah, it's like, well, what it's like, yeah, it's like, did he make it into the game? <laughs> there's a lot in there, especially in the multiplayer,
1: but and um, there's a lot of heads. Yeah, J- Jones went on to render multiple outfits for the in game models too, depending on the scenario. Jungle camo for jungle guards, snow camo for snow guards. Uh, GoldenEye's credits list him as costume designer, a yeah. cheeky but accurate nod to his efforts in giving the levels a cool dose of personality. Um, not that this was easy. Correctly mapping e- uh, these. Pictures meant lots of source material. Uh, He had to resort to publicity photographs just to make any of the featured actors recognizable. Um, You couldn't scan a face the way it's handled now. He needed front shots and side shots to blend together without giving off the appearance of a flat, horrifying mask. That's it. Um, This was why he wandered uh, Rare's campus with his cumbersome digital camera to get all of these angles and in the right lighting. The cameo factor wasn't the reason, as endearing as it was that we notice it. Um. Once he had what was necessary, he'd stitch the JPEGs onto one another with a a pre Photoshop type painter in Maya. Yeah. Uh. Then fuck them up a bit to make them look more like bad guys. Yeah. Uh. He um. His his own had dark circles around his yes. eyes. The,
0: uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, the, uh. He's instantly recognizable. Yeah. Uh. When you play the game, but it's like he is by far the ugliest guard <laughs> in the game. and he was that guard was so notoriously ugly. That I believe at least reported like a uh, uh, a fan sent in uh, <laughs> like sent in a photo of uh, the of the the guard's head to a magazine or them and said like is this a sick joke like <laughs> who did you did not like and I think it was his face that's funny and it's got I, it's you know what it is it's the bowl cut it's it's a, yeah it's it is. Spottable from like a mile it away. You are like that bowl cut. <laughs> uh, Carl Hilton's
1: was the one that had that gnarly scar. The scar. On yep. Him. Um, yep. And uh, he, you know he, he reveled in his hideous army of monsters. Loved it. Uh, Edmund's curly hair needed to go. Uh, although he'd get his due as uh,
0: the skateboarder on the bunker. Yes. Monitor. I, and uh, another one made a cameo as the uh, the talking general in the is that Russian the dude hat. who's, like smashing the, the desk. That yes. Yeah. Okay. It's a it's a, a front on face of a dude in a Russian hat like yelling yes. at the screen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, it's like they all made various cameos. I think uh someone is graffitied on the side of Depot or a Statue, <laughs> I believe, and it's like the like their their image and That's likeness cute. like uh their initials are all over the game in that, places. Yeah, that I knew. Uh Brett Jones. Uh, <laughs> the uh the JB or the BJ in Statue Park is not James Bond, it is Brett Jones. There you go. Yep. <laughs> uh an exception was that Dr. Doke's avatar was fairly clean.
1: Uh originally meant as a placeholder joke, his inclusion in the uh the in the final version, as an active colleague of the facility's most randomest objective <laughs> awarded him a
0: cult hero like status. Yes, and actually mm-hmm. the um like that was not like a thing they slipped through. Like the stamper is very specifically requested. Like, they saw it, and they said, you need to remove him.
1: Yeah. You need to fill
0: him in with a uh, an actual character. You can't they just They weren't too
1: pleased about it. employee's no. Like, real name getting used. No, they
0: weren't. They wanted... But they they promptly had him to, uh, taken out. And then uh, Hollis uh, snuck him back in. Oh, that was... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That No, that is that is the case. Yeah. And snuck him back in. And it's like, uh, that was also one of those... those it was uh, blessed by the tight, cramped development schedule that yeah. it was just one of those things that... Had you know, snuck in, and his radar. real
1: portrait is used in the castlet. Like, it's like it's, it's an identity he you know, he embraces. I would do, but it, the stampers themselves they, they they would actually abstain from um using uh like including their photos altogether, like they possibly from uh, people who say maybe not wanting to cause any
0: worker discomfort by having testers repeatedly Repeatedly shoot yeah, them their bosses shoot, in the yeah, face, shoot, yeah, know. exactly. <laughs> and speaking of which, I mean, maybe we you know you'd mentioned Sally. I wonder if she wound up being the one female face in the game, the Moonraker Guard. Uh, yes,
1: and I think she's also uh, on a civilian that was uneasy. So it's civilians, civilian um, test. This, this, this segues in a Nintendo's second note on the game's amount of uh, violence. Um, outside of the two main characters, Natalia and Xenia, they would uh, show unease at the idea of players being able to cause harm to women. Yeah. So enemy, so female enemy and civilian uh, models um, were were stripped. From the single player and relegated exclusively to the multiplayer. Modes. Right. Yes. Um, bizarrely enough, this would work in the devs' favor. <laughs> See, this process uh, also struck complications when it came to polygonal count. Each human asset was forty-two by twenty-four pixels, while faces were allowed forty triangles max. Uh, this is when their, their, this is why their or sorry their fists got morphed into to uh, the blocks. Yes. Um. But memory was in tight supply. He claims this was also why Valentin's head looks like a square. Yeah, I mean, um, that
0: entire character just, he looks like a bunch of squares, essentially. <laughs> which, I mean, uh, what, uh, what's he at? Riz Davies? Yes, uh, rest the, in peace. Hagrid. Hagrid, yeah. He, uh, I mean, listen, it worked out fine because he looks like a very... <laughs> That's kind of a blocky dude. He's yeah, bit, that,
1: that suit, especially. The the, uh, the budgeting of Polygon soon got so ridiculous that rendering pointy breasts became something to be conscious of. Yes. <laughs> to their luck, it, it wasn't much of a challenge following that request from Nintendo. Yeah. But it's like, uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> man, oh. just like, again, I go back to the Wild West, man. Yeah. The Wild West.
1: <laughs> so we're going to end it. This is, uh, th- this is one of my favorite parts of their story. It probably is like my I think, favorite I think, part of the story. I think it it's, is also my favorite anecdote yeah. as well. Um, Golden I007 is forever applauded for its limb based damage system. But how did they tackle this? <laughs> well, by putting Duncan Botwood in a smelly neoprene motion capture suit used for Killer Instinct and beating the, <laughs>
0: the shit the yeah. shit out of him for hours on end, and one of one of the uh, I'm not I wouldn't say the earliest motion capture, but it was not the. Standard set of equipment. It's like basically you were whip. They whipped together this this motion capture. Yeah. It, it was a very <laughs> it was a very primitive form of what is now <laughs> what it would what evolved into something yeah. Way yeah, And even they at least yeah. uh, even even mentions in the book. Um, uh, you know he like he couldn't just take the raw input. He's like the the vertexes would bounce strange. Yeah, like, yeah. He had to polish out every single animation. I'm glad afterwards. you brought that up
1: because I didn't. It's, it's, so the the these sessions left him. Battered and bruised, as he hung attached to a wall by these these uh, these tangled cables, they'd yeah. always get oh, caught yeah. within themselves. Yeah. Uh, each take, though, just didn't come out quite right. I know <laughs> we went back and forth. That's the interview because it's just too good. The, the uh, that's when Jones hatched the bright idea of asking Botwood to first close his eyes before doing a stunt. Yep, uh, the reactions were then you know infinitely more real because. They were, yeah. <laughs> without foreseeing the incoming blows and flinching, recording the sudden impacts of Jones' uh, shoves and punches lent themselves perfectly to the soldier's animation of being shot in various body parts from various directions. Uh, Duncan was nervous, but a great sport about it, sacrificing his health to die thousands of times for the game. And it, it this it isn't just that, either. He'd run, roll, kneel, jump, dodge, fall, flip, stagger, dive, anything to achieve those distinguished animations we saw in the end product. It truly gave GoldenEye life in a way no other shooter did. Oh, yeah. Rather and, than, you know, just like, sh- you know, go right at you, like, you know, the, the player, combatants would employ strategies such as taking cover behind boxes or toss grenades. It was crazy to witness what happened when you landed a bullet. They, uh, they, they'd they clench their chest, they'd, they'd grab their wooden leg, they'd, they'd double over to, <laughs> a shot to the groin, Yeah. an oddly satisfying uh, feat. But uh, And this gave Botwood the position of being the game's kind of like star performer. And I really, and I mean he went that, all out. So yeah, all I, was commended. Yeah. And I
0: mean, it's like combined with the fact that his face appears on one of the enemies, it's just like it is like that is like that is also close. He's to a, everyone. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's also close to a digital representation of him being in there. If you shoot his enemy, if you shoot him, that's his it, reaction. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um. And uh, I like this quote from uh from Martin too. This we had plenty of soft mats around, but I don't think we could have gotten away with it in today's safety no. conscious environment.
0: <laughs> Not at all. Uh, I mean,
1: As as Gold Knight didn't contain any VO, uh, excluding death cries, uh, the attitude brought to the table from these recordings provided a bunch of character uh, in the body language. A player could deduce on whether or not they have been spotted or who was pursuing them based on the movements of the NPCs alone. They'd sneeze, swat at flies. Swatting idle, it flies. like yeah, yeah. yes.
0: I remember mm-hmm. learning about that as a kid and going straight Especially, to- Especially,
1: because you wouldn't notice unless you had, like, the invisible cheat on sometimes or well, you're, like, looking you for know a what? sniper really far. You could, right?
0: if you turned on, if you had all weapons or you went to a level with the sniper- I remember going straight to a level with a sniper and sitting there and watching the, as the for dudes... minutes in, you're like, what swat- you Literally swatting flies. I was like, that. Was, I thought it was that's, so that's funny. That's a nice touch.
1: Uh, so uh, a, a few were too complex, however, and uh, plans for, for actions like crawling had to be abandoned at the wayside. Uh, An answer to why in split screen you could see your buddies like, glide along do, the
0: floor on one knee. I, you know what's funny? Hey, at so, least you can
1: still shoot off hats, though.
0: No, yeah. I, so yeah. I thought it was so funny because it's like that reading about that, how they had to, to nix crawling. Cause yeah, it's also, it's like, yeah, can you imagine like having like, to
1: do that? Like as that's, that's well also, that's it's lot. like,
0: imagine it's like when you're crawling, it's like reducing your movement speed. It would have slowed. I feel like it would have slowed. It's the a good point. Yeah. But it's like that awoken to memory of when I was a kid and discovering that you could literally slide around on your knees and, like you're just like, like the floor is just covered in and like grease. In like, yeah. grease. And then, the thing is though, you still maintain the same speed. So it's like, it is so comical <laughs> yes. looking to play around. We definitely, as a kid, as, as kids did, uh, <laughs> crou- like crouchers only. And you yeah. had to play the entire I time on crouching. Too. And it's, it's, it's <laughs> man. My God, it's, it's so funny to just, just watch people do that. It's amazing. Uh, so with this, they then had
1: to transfer the data they had to project onto the 3D models. Um, they'd map the joints with mock skeletons, which still took tons of cleanup after. Yeah. And, um, but in time, they would have walk cycles, uh, correct placement of feet, um, uh, the team would fit whatever they could in the space of those cartridges. Uh, a portion of the animations had to be retouched by hands. Yes, uh, like it's I think one case being Bond and Natalia's makeout sesh over the the credit scroll.
0: Yeah, and I I think uh, I mean just reading about all the work he put into he was you know he was responsible for character art and so it's like between costume design translating the heads onto polygons fixing the polygon count doing the motion capture and fixing the motion capture it's like man, it's like you can tell where that year and a half of development because it's like that's a lot for one person to do. It's like those are all full. It's like now it's like – these days you have like entire teams of like, you know, like a team of people working on one of those aspects and it's like we right. did all of it. Yeah. yeah. That yeah,
2: you have like a team of five hundred people, and there's like one animation takes one person like <laughs> yeah. six or seven months. Yeah. I
1: know we we've, we've 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 like referenced this before, but it's like the who's who's the guy at Rockstar whose job it was to realistically animate the horses' balls the and horse's balls. Yeah, yeah. You know, like it's yeah, it was actually
0: it was actually two people, one for each ball. <laughs> 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 oh my god! <laughs> all right that's a wrap yeah uh, and
1: uh so say none of this could have been accomplished without the efforts of mark edmonds uh he did many of the transitions between the recorded moves uh mathematician edmonds was a pro in blending given the title it's smoothness by incorporating uh quatern quaternions? quarterins Qu- quarter unions Quaternions? Quaternions? I have no idea what to, the word is your treatment to account To account for all of the angles and rotations. Uh, oh. uh, apparently this was another technique
0: not uh, ever seen prior. Oh my god. Okay. Gaming. I was just like, I was like, oh, it's a it's a it's a technical jargon. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> With that though, uh, this that <laughs> that tidbit. Um, we are going to call it for tonight. Uh, next episode will wrap up the second half of production uh, and take us uh, to Golden uh, GoldenEyes launch. So be sure to return. Um Thank you, guys, and uh, thank you, listeners. Thank you, Elise. Um, I know that ending was sort of sudden, but I wanted to try and split it into even parts. I for think it's... You know, there There's is, plenty of interesting wackiness uh, left yeah, in the story. You know Take what, my word. but
0: And it's... It, there is, like, it, the development really is split. I feel like split between... Yeah. The individual parts that... We're talking about the individual parts building it up, and then finally, there is a second half because... Still, Once the
1: game comes off the rails, that's, that's, <laughs> that's and it's like, yeah, it's, might like, as well be a whole it's like, like, they game. had a lot
0: of, they had a couple late joiners, I uh, you know, notably Steve Ellis developing the multiplayer and it was just like, yeah. so I think yeah. there's a good point. Multiplayer there's, will also be, I think, in, I think the there's store. a good, there's a good break point. Cool. Uh, yeah. And,
1: uh, you know, and it, uh, it, um, goes without saying, I'm proud of us. This. this is our first like episode episode in a, in a while. So I uh, the, you there have been, bearings
0: there. since you started this podcast, you oh, brought yeah. up, you, like in your like first set of scripts that you were developing, you were like, Matt, I want to do a Goldeneye episode with you. I always knew you. this was an interesting tale for us. Yeah, yeah.
2: It's, it was in the pitch, the original pitch doc. It, orig- <laughs> yeah.
0: it,
1: it, it was.
2: Funny enough, the only thing that was put on the list first, before Goldeneye, oh, is what we're we'll doing Oh, will be our 100th next. episode. Yeah, I yeah,
1: know you're right. Yeah. Man, it's going to be so cathartic to get yeah. all this out. And we'll get to wax more poetic next week, or two weeks. But uh, Austin... Care to close the show out?
2: Shake off the rust. But yeah. <laughs> I, I got to remember how to do this. Because this Don't might be
1: uh, someone's first episode. Right? It might well, be, but, yeah. yeah. Uh,
2: <laughs> thank you for listening. Uh, we have numerous other episodes. As Randy yeah. mentioned, this is episode 97. Uh, and that's not including the commentaries and Game Awards ones and Game of the Year ones. Yeah. So if you want to go back and check out our old catalog... Uh you can do that on hotbuttoncast.com. That's our website. Also Spotify, iTunes, wherever else you get podcasts. And if you want to see what we're working on next, I'll probably post like a preview of what our hundredth episode is gonna be about. Yeah. Stay so tuned. It's gonna for, be a big event. For that and uh, uh, the
1: upcoming interview.
2: Yep. Check out the socials, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Hot Button Cast
1: Cool. Alright, good night everybody.